Hey everyone, Mr. Toast here. Just a quick reminder that you can watch the podcast live and interact with us and other viewers on twitch.tv slash convictedtoast. I also wanted to mention that we have a Discord server where you can ask us questions and make suggestions about the podcast. Link in the description. Enjoy the episode. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Mixed Media Podcast. And as always, I am Mr. Toast, joined with Mr. Rager. Bat, flip that. Flip the script. <laughs> It's been a, a few weeks. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, it's been a few weeks. We're sorry. Uh, we had a lot of life going on. I've got a lot of life going on. Mr. Toast was starting a new gig. Uh, a lot of personal stuff going on, but we are getting back to regular uploads. Uh, first and foremost, uh, there are going to be a couple of changes to the podcast that I kind of wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about before we get into our secret project like the MCU. We're keeping everything secret. This 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 podcast is labeled very ambiguous, but if you're watching it later on and you see the thumbnail, you'll know what we're talking about. But uh, we're going to do some changes. Uh, the first change, and I would like to apologize for this change first and foremost, um, we are abandoning the Twilight Zone project, at least for now. Um, I don't know if that's something we will pick up again. It's possible. It's just uh, a lot of time needs to go into something like that. And we are trying to get it so you guys won't have to uh, wait as long in between episodes, in between us sitting here and uh, goofing around about movies and shit. Uh, so we're going to cut out the Twilight Zone project, at least for right now, if we do do another bigger project with our main series. Notice that uh, phrasing there, main series. We're going to talk about that. Uh with our main series, um, we might do another project. It just won't be as big. And I think what makes the Twilight Zone so tricky to talk about is it's not like a lot of other... Like, the for example, we covered Attack on Titan last year. Attack on Titan is very story-driven, and the episodes flow one right into the other. Very easy to kind of keep your thoughts going because it's the same story and you're just continuing it. And even then, we divided that up into like what six, six or seven parts for the series. Yeah, it was quite a few. We did rush through the entirety of season three in one episode. I don't know how we did that still. Um, yeah, that might have been a mistake on our part. <laughs> I, it may have been. Maybe we'll do a revisit in at some point in the future. We'll see. But yeah. yeah, so for right now, we just wanted to switch it up a little bit uh, to be more consistent with our timing to get more episodes out. Um, and the Twilight Zone, as um, Mr. Rager here was saying, it doesn't lend itself to being told um, like in a, in a straight a straight through way because it's an anthology. Every single episode is different. Yeah, and it would come with us kind of one of our... Um excuse me, one of our big ideas for the Twilight Zone was we wanted to talk about the real-life inspiration behind each of them and kind of what drove it a little bit with some of the later episodes because they're episodes that focus on communism, fear of nuclear war, a lot of 60s stuff because it was a 60s series and that was what was, you know, big on the time and as well as some, like, real-life, I don't want to say real-life, but things that are relevant today i know in our first episode we touched on an episode with lou bookman uh that dealt a lot with death and the acceptance of death and there was just a lot into that and we would you know even if we did it like 13 episodes at a time those are 13 individual stories as short as they may be 
there are still 23 individual stories that we need to talk about and think about and kind you know before we jump into it because in all honesty if we do that at least right now with the amount of time we have which is not a lot for these episodes currently um we're going to leave some stuff out and other episodes are going to get shortchanged for ones that are you know if they're the ones that we talk about more obviously they're ones that deserve to be talked about more if there's a lot more to say about them but we it still ends up shortchanging some other episodes so twilight zone as for right now is completely paused um and maybe just it's something that we might not return to the other big change um we're going to be kind of doing two different versions of the podcast. We're going to have our mainline episodes like this one, where we have our theme, we have our topic, and we go through it. And other episodes where... <sighs> How do I want to go about saying this? So it's going to be kind of like two movies. I don't want to say fighting, but we're going to be kind of talking about two movies that are either very similar, very different, same genre, same theme. They, it, there's a lot of different possibilities with this. And we're going to talk about two movies and we'll do in-depth discussions on both of them and talk about what works in one, what might not work in the other, what works in both. And that way we could cover a wider range of topics and also have less downtime between episodes because two movies is a hell of a lot easier to research to watch to kind of plan what we want to talk about two movies is much easier than you know say for something we did for halloween where we covered multiple entries of a singular series like yep. halloween where we watched what four or five yeah uh it was a there was a quite a few but i think doing it this way it gives us more time that we can um we're not dividing up our time into like chunks between Maybe we'll talk about the first movie that we watched for like 20 minutes and then, you know, we get into the second one and we only give it 10 or we get into the third and we give it like 30 and it's going to try and help us stay more um, on path and kind of focused on what we're working on, on on the two films because that way it's much easier to split it 50 50, especially because we're going back and forth too. it's not just going to be one than the other. Um, on top of that, it also gives us more time to do research on, um, like stuff behind the scenes, um, the directing work, uh, score, whatever we want to talk about for some of the movies, it gives us more time to, to research and talk about that topic. Exactly. And, um, like for this podcast, we had a lot more time with it, even though it is three instead of two movies. Um, I was able to do a lot more research. I have a lot more, um discussion topics and points that I want to try and make in this podcast. So it'll be a more in-depth analysis, but it it's, if you guys notice, it's been three weeks since our last episode. So that, um, I wasn't doing research that whole time. I'm not going to lie to you. That yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, but I did have more time to do some research, some extra research that I might not have done if we recorded the episode when we finished this trilogy, which was the original plan. And uh, I think that this way, the, the episodes where it's kind of two movies going head-to-head, -head, um, they won't be as long. They'll still probably be an hour. We'll probably, you know, allot so much time for each one and then do our final discussion. But they're not going to be like the bigger episodes like we had for the later Attack on Titan seasons or we had for our bigger Halloween episodes where we covered multiple things. 
That's not to say that us discussing more than two movies at a time is dead, or us discussing video games is dead, or us discussing TV shows is dead. The double feature would work, or the double feature. Yeah, double feature. We should call it double feature. Yeah, I was thinking double feature or like real to real, like uh, as in film real. That's good. Um, But I was also thinking we could compare video games. It's not something that is exclusively limited. And then, of course, we're still going to have our mainline episodes. Um, We're probably going to release them every other week. Uh, Our goal that we kind of came up with is starting in March, which is two days from now, if you're listening to this episode uh, when we're live, we want to have at least a weekly upload. If we can manage that, that is our goal. And we're going to try and stick to that. Um, I know our episodes have been kind of sporadic as of late, but hopefully this new format for the podcast will allow us to explore a little bit more and give you guys some more to hear about because looking at it, this is our 21st episode and it might be a little bit less. I might be, cause I can't remember if we did how many parts we did for attack on Titan, but right now a third of our podcasts revolve around one specific show. Yeah. And, and I think with us doing it like this, uh, there's much more, room for new topics and us to discuss more things that uh you guys would be more interested in because if you're not an anime fan there's a third of our podcast that you're not going to be interested in and i think by doing it this way and by having those double features even if we're covering a big series again which i promise you we will at some point um or a film series something like that and you're not really into it you'll still have that double feature every other week to look forward to and there might be something in that for you. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, um, I just lost my train of thought. I'm complete. I'm sorry for that. That's my bad. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Interrupt me if you if you get it again. Um. So yeah, that is our plans for the podcast going f- uh, from here. Uh, we were kind of discussing right before the show actually what our first double feature was going to be. And I think we're going to do it on Martin Scorsese's kind of forgotten films. We're going to pick two of his ones that are kind of underground. I'm not going to tell you which two yet. Actually, I will. Uh, I think it might be a good idea now that I now that I said that out loud for us to kind of maybe hint or tell people what our next podcast is going to be. That way they can watch the movie or watch the show beforehand. Right. That's kind of what James A. Janice does with the kill count. So yeah. That's probably a good idea. He's got a lot of viewers. He he knows what's going on. <laughs> uh, so the two movies we're going to be covering from Martin Scorsese's kind of lost, I don't want to say lost, but more underappreciated works. We're going to cover uh, Bringing Out the Dead, which was released in 1999. It stars Nicolas Cage. And then After Hours, which was released in 1985. And I don't remember who stars in it, but he's really good. Right. Um, just a moment to address the Twitch chat here. Um, Trent here says, what an early podcast. It is an early podcast. Uh, honestly, I don't mind it though. Cause I feel like we, like this gives us more time because it doesn't feel like we're like wrapping up towards the end of the night. We're like, we got to hurry up. Cause like one of us has to go to bed early or something. Uh, and then Fuchsia says a uh, nice haircut. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't mind the early episode either. It does give us a little bit more time to kind of talk about everything and it doesn't feel like we're as rushed 
Yeah, I do remember my thought now, by the way. Go for it. Uh, so anybody here in Twitch chat or anybody that is on the comment section on YouTube or on uh, Spotify, for some of the changes that are coming up, feel free to leave comments. Tell us what you think. And if, you know, give us some feedback. If you think it's a good idea, if you like the episodes when they start coming out, let us know. Helps us uh, determine, like, how we should, you know, co- um, you know, move the podcast forward. Yeah, and because the double feature section is so loose and we'll have the main series, if you guys have suggestions, say you like two movies that are very similar and you want us to compare them, make a suggestion. We could look into it. Yeah, there's also a suggestions tab on the um, Discord server, which is also linked in the description. There you go. Uh, Sam in the chat says, After Hours is a wildly fun movie. Everybody should watch it before a stream. It is very fun. Uh, Martin Scorsese should have made more comedies. I don't understand why he didn't. He did a really good job with After Hours, and I guarantee you, Keegan, after we watch it, you're going to be like, why the fuck doesn't anyone talk about this? (laughs) Because I saw it the first time, and afterwards I was like, how have I never heard of this movie? And my dad's a huge Scorsese fan. I was like, After Hours, he's like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Nobody knows about it. It is so... Like and bringing out the dead even more so, and uh, bringing out the dead is uh, if you do watch it uh, before the next podcast, I will warn you it is not for everybody. It is very disturbing and is not the comedy fun time that After Hours is. It's it's very dark even for a Scorsese movie. Well, we spent sixteen minutes uh, not talking about our topic, so let's talk about our topic. Yeah, let's get uh, into it. Yes, Marvel's best horror trilogy, and it is not Blade. Uh, that was kind of what we were going for a little bit there, kind of misleading. We were talking about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, and holy shit, I've got to say, uh, for a couple of these, it's been a really long time since I've seen them, two and three. Now I don't know if I want to finish my thought, because I mentioned three. <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep two with this thought, and then we'll say elements of three. Yeah. I forgot how fucking good they are. Yeah. The um so I watch these movies pretty consistently. I'd say maybe once every year and a half, two years probably. Uh, I get like an inkling for them, just like I'm gonna watch it again because um they've aged exceptionally well. Um, I mean there are some like scenes here and there. Of course, the CGI came is from 20 years ago, so the it doesn't hold up super well, but it still looks pretty good. It looks about as good as the Marvel does right about now. So. Yeah, I would argue a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with a couple of their more recent titles. I would argue a little bit better. Definitely better than The Flash. I haven't seen that yet, but I still kind of want to because Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah. I like Michael That's Keaton Batman. the saving grace of that film. Um, anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah, let's get into this. Let's just tear right into this thing. Um. You used a word there, and I want to jump off of that. That word you said, it started with an F. What was it? Which one? The one you just said. The Flash? No, 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 no. <laughs> Film. Film. Yeah. This, this trilogy, all three of them, I'm going to include the third one, they are films. And I say that because there are a lot of superhero movies. I'm not trying to ride Martin Scorsese's dick, because I will let you know 
that Avengers Infinity War is in my top 20. Somebody just unsubscribed. But Avengers <laughs> Infinity War is in my top 20 favorite films of all time. I do like a lot of the MCU stuff. I do like comic book movies. However, there are a lot that have been coming out that I don't care what anyone says. They are not films. They yeah. are not cinema. They're they're not I didn't realize until we sat down and watched Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. It's been years. It's been at least 10 years since I've seen two. And I haven't seen uh, part three since I was seven or eight. So it's been a very long time. I'm 22 now. So it's it's been a very long time since I've seen two and three. And one, I revisit pretty often. They are films. They I never noticed in them that. Peter is like out of the costume way more than he's in the suit. Like it's, yeah. it's something like I actually noticed during the movies, like especially during two and two does have that little like plot with him, you know, losing yeah, it's his a good, like 25, 30 minutes of the film where he isn't Spider-Man. Yeah. And then in the parts where he is, there's still long segments of him where he isn't. And I think that's a misstep that, a lot of studios are taking now they're leaving out that heart yeah and they're leaving out the the out of the costume who is this person who is this character and this is this trilogy i would my voice is cracked i would say nolan's trilogy for its problems they deal really well with characters in the mask and out of the mask yeah and I feel like that's something we really need to get back to. And I think that's something that the MCU might have accidentally burned with Iron Man, where they end the first movie with him revealing his identity publicly. Yeah. And I get not wanting to do secret identities for every character. That's fine. That is perfectly fine. But when the MCU does their Spider-Man trilogy, and halfway through the trilogy, spoiler, spoiler, sorry, spoiler for the MCU Spider-Man trilogy and Iron Man, uh, halfway through the trilogy, it's like, oh yeah, Peter Parker, Spider Man, the whole fucking world knows. Like, what? Yeah, like, we that's just... the that's the big thing too. Is like, that's the only hero that has a secret identity in the MCU. Yeah, no, that's true. I think Kamala does too now. Maybe I haven't seen but it. A, so, but I... a lot of them. I'm, oh, I haven't either. Well, I've seen Miss Marvel, and I like I did like that. Yeah. Uh, and there's another unsubscribe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but it, that's something that the MCU has really kind of done away with, and DC kind of to an extent. I feel like with James Gunn, they'll get back to the secret identities, but that's a huge part of like a shit ton of comics. Batman yeah. is a secret identity. Superman is a secret identity. Does Wonder Woman? I don't know. For I think so. But Probably. I don't remember. Probably. If anybody's in the uh, chat that's seen the Wonder... I haven't seen the Wonder Woman movie yet. Does she have a secret identity? Anybody that's seen Wonder Woman or the second Wonder Woman, could you please tell us if she has a secret identity? Um, the Flash is a secret identity. And even in Marvel, a lot of them have a secret identity. And it's just kind of done away with. And here that tension is returned. And it it's not just cool for the characters, but it's excuse me it's cool for the story and the lore too because now you have a deeper layer of tension you don't want the secret identity out you don't want people to know who you are uh she does kind of i think she works at a museum but i don't remember a lot of the details i'm gonna google it <laughs> that's fair 
but like yeah like you were saying like having a secret identity for your character it makes it just makes sense and it adds tension it adds um it can make the character more human because they're not just being recognized on the on the streets as they go about their day-to-day life no it, it exactly uh it's uh I, f- I feel like a blockhead it's diana prince and i i've heard batman in other things call her diana and yeah. it just like never registered to me that's I, my bad i guess <laughs> well i i do know it it wasn't like like michelle or some shit that i like i've never <laughs> heard in my life i was like okay diana i do remember her being called diana at yeah. one point do you want to start with one yeah so honestly the first thing that i want to start with is danny elfman's score like this is still iconic. It's the the sound you and if you haven't seen the movies and you've seen like memes and stuff, the music is still there and you still recognize it. Yeah, the music is fucking awesome. Uh it sucks that Danny Elfman kind of left partially through the trilogy because of some discrepancies with yeah. Sam Raimi. Um and apparently when doing research, there were a lot of uh there are a lot of discrepancies with Toby too. Yeah, I actually did do some research uh, into uh, Danny Elfman's reason for leaving the. Um, I think he he was on for three, and he actually left during the uh, production of three because there was a there was like a uh, what do you call it, like a instigator? What a better term for it? I'm trying to think of it, but. Basically, during the production of Spider-Man 2, some of the scenes, they had a, uh, like, template music done over for um, the music. So they had the scene shot. They have temporary music that they put over the scenes before they actually produce the score. And Sam Raimi got really attached to some of the music from the um, pre-production footage. And he didn't want Elfman to make a score for it. And that kind of drove drove a wedge between them at that point. And then I think it was some more stuff that happened on three that eventually led to him leaving um, the production on that one, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, that makes sense. Danny Elfman's also just a little he he's he's a little weirdo. I love Danny <laughs> Elfman, but he he's a little weirdo. Um, this was. Let me fact check myself before I put my foot in. My- what? I guess there was a big one before this, but this is really Marvel's first super hit. They had X-Men 2000, which did really well. Yeah. And then they had this a couple years later, and it is the reason why we have what we have. That and X-Men. This you just going to ignore the Blade trilogy? Blade is no, for no. a different audience, it I is. would say. Uh, Blade 1 is actually kind of decent. I don't hate it. I haven't seen them in a very long is it norman reedus in one of them he's in the second one i think but i've never been able to finish the second one and i've never started the third one every time i started the second one i've fallen asleep straight up see i've heard the second one's not that bad and i've heard the third one's like atrocious uh from what I remember, the second one's all right um but like i said i just i fall asleep every time i watch it um, because let's be real, you don't just watch Blade 2. You watch Blade 1, then you watch Blade 2. That's true. Do you know Ryan Reynolds has been in more bad superhero movies than good superhero movies? 
What else has he been in besides Green Lantern and X-Men Origins Wolverine? Blade 3. He was in Blade 3? He was in Blade 3. He was the co-star. Yeah, he had a starring role. Also, we're going to lose another subscriber, but X-Men Origins Wolverine isn't the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not No, it's good, not that bad. But it's not great. It has a few... I would say... Here comes another lost subscriber. It's like a lot of Zack Snyder movies where you have like five fucking <laughs> awesome scenes and then the rest of it's just fucking garbage. <laughs> I'm sorry if you like Zack Snyder. I The Snyder cut, it's a little too long. Yeah. That's coming from me who's seen Martin Scorsese's The Irishman that's three and a half hours like five times. We have completely derailed it. <laughs> From the subject I, matter. <laughs> I know. It just keeps going off in the madness. This is what we have when we don't have time constraints. Yeah. It's a half hour in, and I haven't even gotten to talk about the cast of the first one yet. Yeah. I'll do that. So anyway, <laughs> Danny Elfman's score. That's where we left off. Pretty good. Yes. It's very good. It sets the tone for the movies very well. Um, And what we're going to talk a little bit about the MCU at the end of this because of No Way Home. Spoiler again for No Way Home. But uh, Toby reappears in No Way Home for some fan service. I mean, uh, for uh, the story. And um, a lot of his villains reappear. (laughs) Sorry. A lot of his villains reappear too. And um, there's a couple of moments that really hit home. Especially after like rewatching the trilogy, I went back and watched a couple of the scenes, and I'm like, "That's actually pretty good writing for this being fan service." Yeah. Um. So the first one, of course, we got the man, the myth, the legend, Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. You have Kirsten Dunst too. I have mixed feelings with during certain certain parts of the trilogy. I really like her, and then other parts of the trilogy. I hate her. Yeah, and I don't think that's due to the to her acting. I think that's more due to the writing. Yeah, yeah, especially in three, which we'll we'll get to. Yeah, probably. I would say there's two pieces of casting in this movie, and neither one of them's Toby. Before I say this, that I would say is perfect, and I don't know if it'll ever be topped. And that's J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Ripped straight out of the pages of a comic book. Yeah, uh, he is every other Jay Jonah that's come out in video games, in TV series like the animated cartoons and other iteration. He, even Tom Holland, they brought him back because of how iconic his voice is as yeah. Jay Jonah. He brought the character to life. And before this, there really wasn't a lot of Jay Jonas. There wasn't really a lot to base. I mean, there you know you had animated cartoons. Yeah, you had the the ninety four cartoon that was like the main thing. I mean, then you did also have the um, the sixties cartoon as well, but you didn't really get that iconic role until you got to Simmons. Yeah, and he 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 is the reason the character is the way he is today. I mean, the character was always pretty good in the comics and everything, but J.K. Simmons just, especially in this trilogy, he adds so much to the movies. You have the other piece of perfect casting that's Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin. Yeah, absolutely flawless. Uh, wow. so some of the stuff that I did research on as well was like he actually did a majority of his own stunts for this one. Um, he was he's a very physical actor. Um, for those of you that haven't seen him in like action movies before, like I mean he was in John Wick, and I'm 
he didn't do that many like stunts or anything, but like I'm sure he did his own stuff there too. Yeah, and he is just he's such a great character actor, which we've seen in the lighthouse that we've talked about here. Um he he is there there are a few now that are great character actors. He's he, him being one of them, but the the art of character acting and really movie stars is kind of gone. Because a lot of the action stars that we have now, we know them as the character and not the actor. Whereas in the past, you looked at a movie and it wasn't like, oh, it's this character, whatever. It, it If it had Bruce Willis, that's a Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. That is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. That's a Kevin Spacey movie. And now it's kind of like that's an Iron Man movie. Yeah. That's a Captain America movie. That's a Thor movie. Yeah. We don't really – and the actors are famous. I'm not going to say that they're not. But they're not – as known as the characters and i think that's a lot to do with comics in general and yeah it's actually kind of being... funny to think about that too because uh before the iron man movie came out nobody really knew who iron man was yeah no that's that's true he wasn't uh he wasn't one of the uh, more popular characters same with guardians of the galaxy which we've talked about on here before it's i think it's the way it it's like that because I just lost my train of thought. Oh, it's back. Our action movies now aren't like they were in the 80s. Our action movies now, maybe not for much longer, are primarily superhero driven. Yeah. A lot of the big blockbusters the last 10 years have been superhero movies. Yeah, and the only thing between that that we've gotten is stuff that is like John Wick or that is yeah. copying John Wick. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's that's a really good point. And I feel like that that age is dwindling. I don't think it's going to just die like a lot of people. It's not. Deadpool 3 is going to make Marvel a shit ton of money. Yeah. I bet you Fantastic Four will too, especially with the announced casting recently of Pedro Pascal. But I feel like it will dwindle down quite a bit. But yeah, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, perfect casting. And we were talking about it a little bit during uh when we were watching the first one and keegan told me something he said uh you know i don't think this suit's that bad like talking about the green goblin and i was like yeah. what and he was like yeah a lot of people don't like the suit i didn't know that i didn't know people complained about the suit because i've always thought the suit's fucking awesome yeah i Even mean re-watching it i love the suit it's actually something that came up in the production of um spider-man 3 as well but when it came to creating the goblin suit they wanted to do comic accurate but they couldn't quite get there with out like doing like animatronics for the face and all that they couldn't figure out exactly what they how they should do it so they kind of decided to to work around it and do it as like a what if it was like like a army for like a military contract and that's kind of how we got the that armor set kind of look for the for the goblin here um which uh, like i i was talking about when we watched it i don't hate it it's like if we're if we're trying to do comic accurate, like I, I I understand that you can't really replicate that for some characters, and I feel like the Goblin's a hard one to do. Okay, this might be one of the first times that we've like had a little bit of a debate on here. Okay, I adore the green suit. Really? Okay. And if I had my way, every iteration of Green Goblin after that movie would use that suit. Hmm. I think it'd be weird I mean, to do for the take. comics. 
but I don't like I wouldn't mind it either. Oh, I I don't mean in the comics. I mean in like like live action other live action or in cartoons. I just think I, I like the classic look. I I do. But I think this just screams comic book. Yeah. Like ripped off that like it's this bodysuit and it's kind of grounded kind of not. It's got that creepy ass fucking mask which is talk about some of the horror elements of these movies. Yeah. I I love the scene in the I think the, the best part in the movie where the goblin suit is utilized is where the house is burning or the uh the building in New York is burning down and you hear like a screaming woman. She's screaming and screaming and Spider-Man's looking for her. He rounds this corner, you hear this like deafening scream as the lady flips around and it's the green goblin. You just hear that scream and you see that mask and you're like, "Holy shit." Yeah. That's awesome. The way that they use the mask as a jump scare actually happens uh, another time too. And it's um, after, um, like when Peter's at the hospital with Aunt May and he's like sleeping, and like it like jump scares with the mask for him like as like the him waking up, and that's like what? Why the fuck did they do that? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's awesome. But another thing about it too is with Willem Dafoe in this role is he's not just doing the green goblin he's also doing norman osborne he's doing both because the way that they decided to do this iteration of the character was this kind of jekyll and hyde um yes. situation so like the first time that the goblin takes over after the the night of the experiment or the uh the human test trial uh of the goblin serum like he wakes up in his apartment the next morning doesn't remember it and they're like hey that scientist dude's dead and he's like huh <laughs> I love the Jekyll and Hyde thing and Willem Dafoe pulls it off so well. I love him talking to himself in the mirror, monologuing and it, it's weird too because again, we're going to jump around a lot on this episode I feel, but when we talk about the MCU scene, I talked to Keegan I think a little bit about this where a lot of the villains in the Raimi trilogy get like a redemption in the MCU. Uh, they will talk about it more, what happens to the characters in the MCU. I don't think he should have been redeemed. I think he was kind of a fucker before he got the <laughs> Goblin Serum. Back to formula? He, well, he was a fucking dick to Harry, like his yeah, whole life. Yeah. And Harry was just like, I gotta live up to him. And then he immediately meets Peter, and he's like, huh, I like you more than my son. <laughs> Get fucked, Harry. <laughs> and Harry's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like so pissed but he he's not a good person he he and i do i i get where he's coming from what leads again we're jumping around so much in this <laughs> but what leads him to get in the goblin serum is this decision by the military they're like we're kind of interested in the glider oscorp's developing but the goblin serum like is that coming along like what's that looking like and uh Willem Dafoe's like, oh, tests are great. Tests are great. Scientists like, uh, one of our rats died. Or, one of well, our rats had crazy. insanity. Yeah, it went insane. And uh, the general's like, huh, maybe we shouldn't test this on people yet. Willem Dafoe's like, wait, 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 it's just one rat. It's just one rat. And he's like very pissed, and that's what kind of leads him towards that role. I can't remember what famous scientist it is, but there's a very famous scientist that infected himself with a disease so he could cure it. I'm not sure. 
and that's if anybody in the chat has access to any kind of research, who was the famous scientist that did that? Who who like gave himself a disease and then cured it? But yeah. he kind of does that with the serum. The scientist isn't inherently wrong. It's also kind of a dick move. Yeah. Like, he's not inherently wrong, and he was right as soon as they tested on the first human. We we know what happens. Um, there was uh. What were we talking about before he went on like a Willem Dafoe like ten like dick sucking spree? <laughs> oh, the cast, the cast. That's just right. a, just a quick second, I'm gonna adjust some of the uh, comments here. Okay, um, good. When we were talking about Wonder Woman, uh, Sam said it's hard to call that a secret identity because that's actually her name in the movies more than they call her Wonder Woman. That's true. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I haven't seen the movies. So I, I haven't know. either. I've only seen Justice League and, uh, unfortunately, Batman v Superman. Uh, anyway, and then a said off topic, but did you get a new barber? I didn't. Uh, this was actually a great clips haircut. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fate is looking fate fresh. Is looking I appreciate fresh. that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the casting. <laughs> There's only a couple more that I want to touch on. Um, James Franco's Harry Osborn. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Don't know what the fan consensus is on this. So if this is a hot take, I apologize. I didn't realize it was Franco. No, I knew it was him. Yeah. But he kind of like disappeared into the role for me. It wasn't like his goofy, like this is the end, the interview, like yelly, Dave Skylark, like persona, like Harry's kind of reserved. Yeah, I kind of like that too. Um, The way that they could use him as a character in these movies is actually pretty good. Um, especially in the first one, because like we do get to see that relationship between Peter and Harry, which I think their their chemistry is pretty good. Um, and then, excuse me. Uh, on top of that, we get those scenes as we were talking about with like how Norman was kind of a kind of a dick and like kind of ignored Harry, and then as soon as he met Peter, he was like, "Peter's like way cooler than my son." Um, we have that scene when they're graduating, and uh. Harry and Norman walks up to Harry. And he's like, I'm surprised you made it. And then like, he talks to Peter, like he's his own son. Like that's fucked up. But you have like in that scene, right after he says that to Peter, you have Harry standing right behind him. And he just kind of has like this look. He's like, he just walks away. A, a critique I have with Harry's character. It, it has nothing to do with James Franco's performance. His performance is a little wonky in three. We'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, is the decision to make Harry kind of dumb. Yeah. Because in a lot of other iterations of Harry, and I get this as a different interpretation of the character, but Harry's normally like a little nerd buddy for Peter. He normally is that little nerd buddy. It's a nerd like him. But this Harry is like, why aren't the other kids kissing his ass? And why is he kissing this nerd's ass? Right. That's what I ask when I see this movie. Because he pulls up to the field trip in a limousine. <laughs> it's a Rolls Royce. all the other kids are like, yeah. And the, the Flash like bullies him. Like, dude, he could buy and sell your dad to China. Like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and I get picking on him. I'm not saying they can't pick on a rich kid. I'm just saying it's a little weird that everybody thinks Harry's a loser. When he's pretty yeah. handsome, he's not nerdy, and he's filthy fucking rich. He I do went think... to the fucking field trip in a limo. 
something else we do have to mention uh for the casting is they're all supposed to be seniors in high school and they're on like their late 20s <laughs> they look old yeah yeah they look really old uh i guess it helps for like the scene where they have mj like not wearing a bra for like 10 minutes straight <laughs> Well, if they had her in high school <laughs> yeah, and she looked yeah. like she was in high school, that'd be strange. Yeah, that's But I guess because she fair. looks 30, it's fine. Yeah. Um, how old is Kirsten Dunst? I, I, I'm genuinely curious now. You mean now or during the time of filming? Now, 41. Uh, that she was 20 years 20. ago. She would only been 20. That would be 22 years ago, actually. Yeah, she was born in 82. She would have been 20. Yeah. Okay, maybe... Okay, maybe she's not. Okay. How anyway, uh, he was 28, 20. I think, when they filmed it. Yeah, yeah, 28. You're right. Um, Kirsten Dunst is married to Jesse Plemons. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, James Franco, I don't hate his casting. I think he's a pretty good Harry, for especially for the, the st- overall arching story that the trilogy has with him. I think he's pretty good yeah uh, uh sam says that's the time period of movies though all movies in this time period had like 30 year olds playing teens they all looked really old for their roles that's, no, that's true. true like in the early 2000s for sure i think i do recall like it'd be weird because it'd be like yeah it's a teen movie and it's like they're all 30 american pie um <laughs> uh, uh, the last two pieces uh we got joe uh manganello as flash real quick um but we have Cliff Robertson as Ben, Rosemary Harris as May. I like Cliff Robertson a lot as Uncle Ben. I think his scenes are really well. And they utilized his purpose that he serves to Spider-Man really well. Uh, we all know what happens to Uncle Ben. If you don't know, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, th- well, it's a big spoiler for the entire Raimi trilogy this <laughs> this podcast but i don't love rosemary harris's aunt may i think that there are points in all three where i don't really understand or like her character very much just because she's she is supposed to be struggling and she is supposed to have whatever but she's supposed to be that kind of rock for peter Mm -hmm. that he knows he could go back to and there's a point, I can't remember if it's in two or three, where he, he admits to her that something about um, he could have stopped Uncle Ben's killer. Yeah, and that's in two. Like, it's in two. Yeah. Instead of like reconciling him, she just fucking gets up and walks away. And I get she needs like time to process it or whatever, but I just didn't like that decision, especially because that was such a hard thing for her to admit. And then the next scene, when they talk about it, she's like, Oh, water under the bridge, like water under the bridge. That was your husband. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, I, I understand to a degree, like the way that they decided to go with that. And I get that in that moment that that's, definitely how i think a like a normal person would react to it it wouldn't just have like your movie dialogue where we talk about it and like get over it really quick like i don't think it would happen like that in real life i think realistically her walking away does make sense but the way that she's just like yeah it's water under the bridge i don't like that personally um, no and i feel like she should have said at least 
something to him. Like, even if it's just like, I need some time. Yeah. Like, if she, she said like, Zen instead of walking like he's away. A murderer. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, just to clarify, when we watched these movies, for one and two, we watched the normal cut. We were, thought about watching 2.1 for Spider-Man 2, but we looked into it. Sam Raimi claims that uh, the theatrical cut is his director's cut. And then we unintentionally watched the editor's cut of Spider-Man 3. And thank God we did. <laughs> um, I'm going to get into that because that's a debate that people have about the editors versus the theatrical and which scenes are bad and which scenes are not. And people have some really funny ideas of what they think is bad. You know, a lot of people hate the sandcastle scene. Really? I don't get that. That's wild. Anyway. You have toe for grace in that fucking... Anyway. <laughs> we'll get, we'll um, get to there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get to there in about three hours. Um, <laughs> so let's get into the actual meat and potatoes of the movie. Um, opening scene, they're at this kind of field trip can't really discern who's the teacher because they all look the same they're all like it like look like they're in their late 20s uh <laughs> the teacher looks younger the than them. guy yeah he does um they go to this museum i don't know exactly what kind of a place it is they have like, it's like a science that's... center or something like that yeah and you he gets the radioactive spider bite and we see like the nerdy peter parker a little bit before this i don't know if his bullying works as him as a senior in high school like the bus driving without him and like the bus driver like yeah. hey, like get fucked he's a senior like what do you why are we acting like this and i know that there, i'm not saying there is no bullying or hazing like your senior of high school but like there's no anyone he gets on the bus like the nerdy ass bitch is like i don't want you to sue me like yeah there also wouldn't be a bus driver that would do that or if there is no. a bus driver that would do that, they would not be employed for very long. No, they they would not. Uh, he gets his uh, spider bite, which, of course, as we know, transforms him into the Spider-Man. Yeah. Another and, thing that we do have to talk okay. about here, too, is um, him getting his powers the same night as uh, the Green Goblin. I love that idea. We talked about that when we were watching it. Um having both your hero and your villain kind of born on the same night. Yeah, it's something so that speak. you can only do with your origin story. You can't do it in sequels. The MCU tried with fucking Tony. Uh, <laughs> some of the Spider-Man villains that they came up with. But yeah, they're, one of my other favorite uses of that, one of the other like biggest ones I could think of is Batman 89, which spoiler for Batman 89. Sorry we're spoiling so much shit made the decision to have Joker be the one that killed Thomas and Martha Wayne, which I think was a great decision. So Batman and the Joker were born the same night. And then uh, Joker repeated that. Spoiler for Joker. But Joker repeated that as well. And I really like the idea of both the hero and the villain being born on the same night. Yeah. Um, yeah, to Toby's kind of bullied. He's nerdy. He has a crush on MJ. Normal Spider-Man stuff. Willem Dafoe's pissed. Uh, he wants his formula, he wants his money, so he becomes the Green Goblin inadvertently, he tests the serum on himself, and he gets that, that small side uh, side effect of insanity that comes with the Goblin serum. Just a little little insanity, you know? Just a little one. Can you imagine, like, a commercial for the Goblin serum? Yeah. Uh, side effects may include insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so side effects it. may include insanity, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> you think that the green goblin couldn't get it up <laughs> maybe that's why he's so angry um 
so they they're born on the same night. Willem Dafoe immediately kills the scientist that was there, and the scientist like does nothing to stop him. He's just like, oh, what what are you doing, Norman? Norman, and then he comes out. He's like back to formula, and he kills him. Yeah. Um. Then you got Spider Man, and I kind of like the slow progression into him learning about his abilities. Mm-hmm. I think that he tests them a little too quick. Like it's cool that there's like little things growing out of your finger, and you can climb up walls. I don't know if I jump between buildings just yet. Maybe like between <laughs> dumpsters. Like set a couple of dumpsters like decently far apart, and then jump. But what if the dumpster rolls? The building's not going to move. Dumpsters can roll. Get one of those like dumpsters without wheels. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. If he's got superhuman strength, he could just push it. <laughs> he could stop a train. He could push a dumpster. <laughs> That'd be a test for superhuman strength too. <laughs> then we get into one of the most interesting decisions that Sam Raimi made with this trilogy. One that's poked a little bit of fun at since, and uh, especially in No Way Home. The organic yeah. web shooters. The organic web shooters. It's an interesting decision. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if this was like, uh, I don't know. It was the first time I think we've actually seen it, but it did happen in the comics a few years later, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, during the Spider Island event, I did look into that. I don't think it's a bad decision. And here's here's why. When you make the web shooters and you make the web fluid, I know Peter Parker's supposed to be smart, but him doing that confirms that people can, could have created this technology that shoots webs like a spider, and you're able to have your own weight and swing from building to building. You're able to, like, rappel down. You're able to hold up structures with it. Yeah, there's also, like, I'm pretty sure there's one scene where we also see him, like, reel it back in. How's that work? Toby? Yeah. Like, the scene... Oh, I was talking about the, the, um, the, like, uh, non-organic ones. Oh, I gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. Because, no, you're fine. I was just talking about, like, how it's a little funny, like, he gets the spider powers and then he's able to, like, have this, like, groundbreaking revelation in technology, like, very soon after. It is a little strange. I will I say the, uh, the, the as we're talking about like experimenting with the powers a little too quickly, like the first time that he successfully shoots a web intentionally, straight up tries to swing on it immediately. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense if you know he has those instincts now. Yeah, with the spider bite, maybe. But I, I, again, it, I I don't dislike it. It's just a decision. I yeah. don't love it. I don't hate it. It's just. It's fine. It works. I will say I do like the way that they depict the spider sense in these movies as well. Like, you have mm-hmm. the sound for it, the way that they do the sound. And then it has the slow-mo, and it kind of shows you what's going on in the environment. Like, we see the guy, like, shooting a spitball. We see a fly literally just flying through a hallway. And then it, as it comes around, it, you get that scene between uh, him and Flash. And it comes out of the slow-mo with Flash throwing a punch at him and hitting the locker. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah so we're talking about it a little bit already so let's talk about the school he goes to school after he gets his spider powers and uh, this is actually probably before he tests his powers I it think. is um, he catches a tray after it falls I'm not going to go into the whole context of the scene but they re- what did they do like 50 takes it was like 140 something 
it was that high yeah, it was like a okay. they so they did a um what do you call it when it's uh practical a practical stunt where um mary jane slips on this like grease spill or whatever and he catches her has the tray catches everything on the tray and they did like practical effects for him catching the tray they just put like glue on the bottom of every, everything so when it stuck it didn't roll over or slide or anything it just stuck and stayed there yeah and it, it it looks cool it, it looks really cool um could it have been done with cg much easier yeah probably but would it look goofy rate? as hell definitely it it's still even though it's practical it still looks a little like whoa <laughs> sam says um, that sounds rather impractical if you ask me yeah it took see that that, that is a good point if it takes 150 tries to do it maybe it's not as realistic yeah. as <laughs> and you had to put glue on everything right um he gets into a fight with Flash, who's, like, the bully or whatever. He doesn't really swing on him. I think he lands, like, one hit on Flash. And yeah, he mostly just, just dodges. Kind of yeah. Um, get that iconic line from Flash. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. I yep. love that line. Yeah, um, Thanos actually said that to Flash during Infinity War, if you didn't know. <laughs> Flash showed up in Infinity War to fight Thanos. Thanos like, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you, Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Peter kind of hands him his ass on a silver tray, and he's being really moody. He's kind of being a douchebag to Uncle Ben, and it, Uncle Ben's like, "Oh, teenage hormones." Uh, it's not. He's eighteen years old or seventeen. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Puberty's gone. Puberty was over five years ago, Uncle Ben. This is, but anyway, um, he's like, "I really want to. I, I want to bone Mary Jane." Uh, we get this. Well, that's it. I mean, it is. That's his character motivation. Mm, yeah, yeah. For getting into Chainsaw the, the ring. Yeah. Uh, we get this scene that I wish Raimi explored a little bit more. What the hell is going on in MJ's house? Oh, yeah. Like the. What is happening? It's like a domestic there? every other day. Yeah. What the hell is happening there? We don't get like any context for it. We and, just know uh, that she has like an more. abusive dad. That's all we get. Yeah, and we don't. It, and we don't even see him. We just hear them argue, um, like in the mornings on the way to school or at night, whenever. It's just it just happens. Yeah, I wish I wish we got a little bit more into that part of her character because I feel like that could have been something very interesting. Especially because they do a callback to it in three, but because we didn't like I don't know we saw it from the outside. We saw it from the outside looking in. We didn't see the actual thing. So having that callback. It can be effective, but also because it wasn't really explored in the other two movies, it doesn't do much. No, it, it doesn't. And I, I that is something I wish that Raimi took a little bit more time with. Yeah. So Spider-Man decides, you know, his character motivation just explained he wants to get with Mary Jane. He needs a car because MJ has a boyfriend that comes up, picks her up in a car. He's like, I need thing with wheel. So he's like <laughs> looking in the paper and all the cards are pretty expensive because they're cars. Uh, and he's like, oh, I can make some money in this wrestling thing. And at this wrestling thing, we have uh, Bruce Campbell's first appearance as Mysterio. It's confirmed. I don't care what anyone says. He's Mysterio in all three of these and he's fucking with him. So he's there and uh, he I can't. What's his original name he says and then bruce campbell's character kind of changes it isn't the human uh, spider the human spider yeah yeah and uh bruce campbell's like that blows 
how about Spider-Man? And they announce him as Spider-Man. He makes a homophobic joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anybody really remembers that. Yeah. Uh, because from this scene, the most iconic line, of course, is bone size ready. Yeah, which uh, with with Macho Man Randy Savage, who actually became a WWE wrestler to prepare for this role. Yes, yes, it was a lot of prep. What, did somebody just yell in the house? Bone saw is ready. <laughs> uh, I think somebody in my house just yelled, "Bone saw is ready," because they heard me do it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. It's iconic. It is. Uh, but yeah, he like uh, I would say that age is kind of weird, like. He's gonna get canceled if that video of Spider Man, like if anybody was recording in that ring, <laughs> Spider Man is so. Canceled. It's okay. It was 2002. If you owned a camcorder, you're. Or actually, there was no flash photography and like those things, and they would always be like, "That's a camera." Nowadays, you can't do that. Everybody has I a phone have, camera. <laughs> I have such a good joke, and I, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say if it was filmed in 2024, when he goes up there, he's like. That's a cute outfit. Did your husband get it for you? It would pan back to, uh, it would pan back to Bone. So I'd be like, "Well, yes, he did. It's very lovely. Thank you for noticing." <laughs> uh, so they fight and um, fight in quotation marks in the cage match because Spider Man wipes the floor at this big dude, and um, he goes to get paid. He's like, "I want my money," and uh, the guy tries to fuck him over. Well, he does. The guy that owns the wrestling thing yep. he scams Spider Man. He's like. It was, uh, you know, you get this much for spending this much time in the cage, yeah, and you pin uh, him and whatever. Just stay, like, don't get KO'd in the first three minutes, and you win $3,000. And then he was like, you pinned him in two minutes, so here's 100 Yeah, yeah, it's, I love that the challenges don't get knocked out. He went above and beyond the challenge and fucking knocked the dude out, and yeah. they were like, no. Like, at the, I think that that is a little, I know what he... Of course, what Sam Raimi's setting up, which we'll talk about. But I think in real life, he would have fucking gave him that three thousand, and then been like, "Hey, you wanna, you wanna like work for me? <laughs> you wanna be the well, new Bone Saw?" Well, if he fucking took it down his best fighter, and he had that agility and everything, and was able to climb up the shit, I'd be like, "You're hired." Yeah, uh, that's the good ending. But the, the bad ending, <laughs> bad ending. He rips him off. This guy comes running in. Uh, what's the crook's name? Um, don't do this to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I you've seen these more. I didn't know if you knew. I don't know what it is. It's the same name as it is in the comics. I just can't remember off the top of my head right now. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. James Carradine. Dennis Carradine. Dennis, damn it. Um, yeah, D Dennis Carradine and um. He runs up, he grabs the money, he's running out, and... Kind of looks like Louis C.K. A little bit. <laughs> um, whenever he gets to the elevator, Spider-Man has the opportune time to stop him from getting away with the money. And instead, he recites the line that the wrestling guy said to him, which was, I missed the part where that was my problem. Because Spider-Man's like, why didn't you pay me? So the guy's getting away, and because Spider-Man didn't stop him, he... um. We, well, <laughs> in this movie, it said he kills Uncle Ben, but we find out in three he didn't, yeah. which is really fucked up because Spider-Man does the Batman, Christopher Nolan way of killing somebody without killing somebody to this guy. Um, so Spider-Man's chased this guy down. I do want to say oh, 
how we were talking about how like this is a film the first time that we get him swinging through the city as the score swells and we get that first swing that is legitimately like one of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion just because of the way that it's set up and it happens right after uncle ben is killed yeah the music that there too like the way that the percussion kicks in and everything is it's phenomenal let's talk about the scene with uncle ben for just a second yeah um the acting is great it's done really well um i like the scene earlier on the great power great responsibility scene we all know the line it's iconic at this point the scene between the two of them where he, he says peter and he holds his hand it's it's nice i really like that yeah uh my favorite uncle ben death is actually not an uncle ben death and we'll talk about that when we get to that particular trilogy um there's another character that takes his place and i really really like that decision we'll talk about that when we get there spider-man's swinging after this guy and uh the guy's like about to fall what what is it like an abandoned construction yard yeah it's something? like an old warehouse or something on the docks and the guy's about to fall and spider-man lets him fall yeah. to his death yeah there's a there's just a random pipe sticking out of the ground he trips over and Spider-Man has an opportune time to save him and decides to let him die. And we start from here, we kind of start seeing Spider-Man come through. Uncle Ben's death's kind of inspired him to fight a lot of the crime that's going on in the city because he had... I like his motivation for doing it. He's not just like... Because MCU... I Is there an Uncle Ben in the MCU? It's alluded to once, isn't it's it? It's alluded to. I think uh, the suitcase that he packs in... Uh far from home has his initials on it they yeah there there was i don't know if he died in a similar way i don't i don't know yeah we they, don't have any information that. on that um i will say because right after we get through this uh through the scene of him like chasing down the killer and everything we get um it comes out of nowhere and this is one of the things I love about the this trilogy is that Sam Raimi just has a horror movie in his head at all times. And uh, <laughs> sometimes whenever it's a movie that isn't a horror movie, he just lets it out for for like a scene or two. We have a scene where the the uh, military, like the general and everything that they were selling stuff, they were, they were going to do the contract with Oscorp for. They go to a different thing and it's like a little test and it's this. This weird ass like mech pilot suit thing, and it like takes off. They're like, This is a cool test, this is fine. And we get this zoom in on the pilot's face. It's like, What the hell is that? You hear the laugh of the goblin, and it just explodes like the, the bunkers that they're in, the whole uh, the whole suit that the that the dude's piloting explodes. And it transitions seen... immediately oh, into the graduation scene, yeah, yeah, very quickly. It's it, you get both of these instances of them both kind of coming into their own and then boom it's graduation already yeah. spider-man is no longer this movie takes place what did we say a year about like eight Almost. months eight months to ten maybe something like that yeah it takes place over a long period of time from what we what we were talking about it was uh they started out it was like senior year of high school uh they go through graduation and then like towards the end of the movie it's like thanksgiving yeah yeah towards the end yeah exactly um i've seen fan theories and uh about that scene with the military that what you see there is stark industries oh and that's an iron man prototype hmm. 
could be which, i could see it i think that's kind of cool yeah even if it isn't it's cool yeah um but after we get to the graduation scene we get one of my favorite lines from the movie where um peter and aunt may return home and uh he's like i'm gonna head up to my room for a bit and it uh jumps a little bit and like we see him sitting on his bed crying and aunt may comes up and uh one of the hardest lines for me is uh i really missed him today like talking about graduation like having your father figure just not be able to be there uh that that's heartbreaking yeah it's that thing that goes hand in hand with a lot of deaths and like we've been saying, Sam Raimi in these movies explores a lot of complex themes like that, where it really is day by day. Like some days you really do miss them. Like it, they come back into your mind. I know my grandfather passed away uh, four years ago this year. I, there are a lot of days where it's just, and it's not me. Like it's just human nature. We don't think about them. Yeah. We just don't. And then you have that day where you start thinking about them. And that I really like that line as well. I think, I think that is one of the best lines in the movie, and it's one that not a lot of people talk about. But yeah, it, I, it's I, one it that's it's more subtle. Like it, it's a very quick scene, but I think it's so important um, for like the characters in that moment. No, I I completely agree with you. It, it's it's very well done. I'm gonna um I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit, um. Because I know there's other scenes like him yeah. designing the costume and everything. I didn't run. I don't want to really just dissect the plot. Yeah. So let's jump ahead. If unless there's something you want to talk about before the next scene that I'm going to mention, and the next scene I'm going to mention is the parade. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to talk about between now and the parade? No. Honestly, we should probably try and pick up the pace just a little bit because we are over an hour in and we're still on the first movie. <laughs> Well, we did all the We're, casting stuff. Yeah, too. yeah. We got time. So it's, it's fine. Um, Call us Mr. Incredible because we got time. <laughs> uh, so the parade scene. This was actually the first. I don't think I mentioned this to you when I was watching the podcast with you. Or when I was watching. Oh, my God. When we were watching the movie together. The parade scene is the first scene that I had ever seen from this movie. Really? I was five. And it was on Cartoon Network. That's impressive. It is. And we turn it on. Movie's already halfway through. It was that scene. And Willem Dafoe fucking sweeping in. Out, am I? I didn't mean for that impression. I don't know if that was good. (laughs) It it was was pretty good. good? I liked it. And he fucking is attacking them. Five-year-old me was like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. And then it he just straight up turns incredible. the board members into skeletons. <laughs> yeah, the the pumpkin bombs have a very wide range. I don't know <laughs> if there's like skeleton bomb and pumpkin. I don't know. We'll talk about that because there's some, yeah. there's some discrepancies with his technology. Scene's still fucking awesome. Again, Sam Raimi tapping into that horror. Um, you have the scene at this point. Uh, MJ and Harry are together, and the board members have decided to vote norman out of his own company uh i what was the reason they gave uh it's something about losing the military contract i think but i i could be wrong oh because he fucking killed him (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah 
Um, I do want to say that the the thing with like the pumpkin bombs like turning people into skeletons and stuff, like it's got that like horror element, but it's also like super campy, and I love it. Very comic book. I love that the bomb explodes feet away from Harry. First yeah. of all, he doesn't get turned into a skeleton, and second of all, when he learns the truth, he's like, "My dad almost fucking killed." He then like doesn't click. No, it doesn't doesn't click. Uh, it doesn't as, compute in his brain. Yeah, as well as on top of that, uh, like the that the, that was his key targets, but he still six sticks around just to like fuck with the police. I guess I don't. And ordinary people almost kills a kid. Yeah, inadvertently, but still. Yeah, we also uh, have a moment to talk about uh, the early two thousands casting uh, actual artists to perform their own music in the movies. Uh, to see if that person is even relevant 15 years later. Uh, in this situation, we're talking about Macy Gray, who you, most of you probably don't even know who that is. I don't even know who that is. They, they, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the charm. <laughs> Wasn't there a band like that in James Gunn's Scooby-Doo? Uh, uh, yes, it was... Um... Oh, God, Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray, that's it. <laughs> The Butthole Surfers. That's a real band from the nineties. <laughs> um, but yeah, the scene's awesome. It's like our first kind of showdown between uh Green Goblin and Spider Man. Spider Man yeah, swings. This is in. the first time they encounter each other. Yes. The I love whenever he's uh, this scene is just so good. I would say it's I don't want to say it's my favorite scene in the movie, but it's up there for my favorite scene in the movie. Because he like comes in and he's on the glider and everybody's like, What the hell is that? And he flies in, he's super menacing. Willem Dafoe is just acting his ass off. Yeah. And I love their first kind of like thing. Willem Dafoe's like very confused, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And um I don't know if it's before or after this, but I I feel like it was before. Jay Jonah, have we missed him yet? Uh, or is he after this? It's after. <clears throat> Are you sure? Because I thought yeah. he like No, it's a it's after this about- scene green goblin after and he had talked about spider-man before no he uh it's after this scene because it's like the parade was like the big like the first time that anybody really saw the goblin okay i didn't know if he had like a scene where he was like spider-man's a fucking menace there's a brief thing i do want to mention as well and it's before like the goblin shows up and everybody starts uh like panicking and everything um there's a thing that like happens throughout these movies where like characters just have telescopic eyes i guess because like (laughs) uh it's uh harry and mj get together and like harry does not tell peter initially and peter finds out because he's he's looking up at this balcony where harry and mj are at and harry looks down and just sees peter in this crowd full of people and is like there's no way you would recognize peter from like i I don't know like eight stories up and looking down (laughs) at like a crowd of people um yeah it's it and sam Raimi is a weird thing with eyes too mm-hmm. like eye shots i don't mind it but he, it, they are mm-hmm. very frequent in his movies yeah um so let's talk about jay jonah we talked about the parade scene it's awesome i love the first fight between the two of them goblin kind of just pieces out like spider-man rips some shit out of his glider. straight up comic book line says we'll meet again spider-man like we'll meet again spider-man he's like flying away that's awesome these early 2000s movies i will say really do kind of embody that like with 
who really controversial superhero movie here, but Ang Lee's The Hulk not came out. awful, in my opinion. No, it's not. And I don't mind the editing. I think it's kind of cool. The way he, that he actually like, tried to make it feel like it came out of a comic book? Yeah, he's like, this is a comic book movie? Cool, here's some comic book editing. Yeah. It's cool. I, I don't hate that. I think that if a, a couple other ones that were campy like that, I feel like this movie if it was edited like a comic book, it would go over well. Yeah. Um, which it kind of is in parts. To a degree. Uh, so uh, Spider-Man needs a job. Peter Parker needs a job. And he decides, you know, again, classic Spider-Man thing. He's going to take pictures of Spider-Man. He's going to take some selfies uh, and give them to Jonah. And again, J. Jonah is just so perfect. And, and or sorry, uh, J.K. Simmons is so perfect in the role of J. Jonah. And then you have a comic relief character with Sam Raimi's um, brother, Ivan, who is, what's his name, Hoffman? Yeah. Uh, who he just, like, berates and bullies in all three of these movies. He's like, Hoffman! He, like, comes in, he's like, sir, he's like, get out of here, you're fired. Or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, I love everybody that works at the Bugle. It's It really does, like, whenever it cuts to the Bugle in these movies, it's like a completely different movie for like five minutes, then it goes back. Yeah, because the characters are all I love them. I love I love Betty. Brandt. I think honestly, all the casting for the Bugle characters is really good too. Like Betty Brandt as uh, what's her name, Elizabeth Banks, pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, I like the guy that they got for Robbie as well. They're all they all it, do really well. Uh, that would have been uh, Bill Nunn. Yeah, Bill Nunn. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's really cool. And then we get a couple other. Because he encounters Goblin two more times before the end, right? Uh, I think only you had the parade, then you had the scene at the bugle, which leads into a second scene right after that, and then you had the climax. Okay, no, you're right. Uh, so it's pretty. It's not far after this again. We're not going over every detail in the plot. Goblin decides to attack the bugle. There's this really comedic comedic scene with Jay Jonah where he throws a cigar out his window and it comes flying back in. The goblin comes in and we get for somebody who's in the movie for six minutes, we get like an insanely deep look at Jonah in yeah. two lines because the goblin picks him up and Jay Jonah throughout the whole movie has been shown as this prick. doesn't really give a shit about anybody but himself. He's like, I want a picture of Spider-Man. I want to make money. Uh, get out of here, Parker. You're fired. I'm not going to give you a, like a job here. Like, just bring me pictures and I'll pay you. You know. And Goblin picks him up, and he he says, "Who is the photographer that takes the photos of Spider-Man?" And Jonah lies to him. He says, "I don't know." They come in through the mail and all this shit. He covers his ass. Yeah. For no the re- craziest thing. Killed. Peter is right in the room, right there as the like wall explodes, and he's like. Who takes pictures? Like, I don't know who he is. He sends the stuff in his mail. He's anonymous. Yeah, and he, again, he could have been killed. The goblin attacked that thing. It's confirmed by everybody that goblin killed multiple people at that parade. Yeah. Jonas still, like, sticks to his guns and doesn't give away the identity of Peter, which yeah. is awesome. There's that a second theory. There, so you have two different sides. It could be, like, he's protecting Peter because he doesn't want anything to happen to him, or he doesn't want to find a new guy to take pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the first one. Yeah, I it do too. gives him a little bit of depth. So, uh, is this the scene where Goblin knocks him out? Yeah, uh, he knocks him out with some sleep gas, and then uh, 
he kind of ha- pitches his uh his whole idea of what if instead of you us fighting each other we joined forces and rule uh, the city yeah that classic like uh we're not so different you and i that's been yeah. done like a million times now um i do like that instead of explaining what willem dafoe has or like doing he just goes sleep with the gas <laughs> and we're like okay that's what that is yep uh so we get that scene the we're not so different whatever uh spider-man's like no they do they do encounter each other again because of the burning building oh that's right that's and uh then the climax yeah uh so later on there's a burning building and we get some scenes of spider-man spider-manning um there's also some scenes that we kind of neglected to talk about where Peter's hanging around MJ and he saves her and you get that famous kiss that's in the movie. I, yeah. Let's get back to the fun stuff. Uh, Willem Dafoe. So he, he's in this burning building and Spider-Man's bringing his people out. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. You hear the scream in and it's revealed as him. They have this awesome fight. And I just want to say that I love how brutal some of like the swings are between the two of them. Yeah. Like, they are, like, dumpster truck punches. And we see that in No Way Home, too, during the fight with Tom Holland and Willem Dafoe, where for some reason they just fight with this, like, intensity yeah. for each other. And it's it's awesome. I can't remember how... How does that scene... How, how does Goblin get away, or how does that... I can't remember how that scene turns out. Uh, the one in the fire? Yeah. Um. So... He gets cut. I remember his like his arm gets cut by one of the goblins. Uh, it's like a razor pumpkin bomb or something. I don't exactly know. And then, um, there's like a there's like a explosion or something, and that's how he gets away. I think it's weird. Does Peter just Peter just escapes right? Yeah, pretty much. Just just gets out. And that leads us into Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, which is honestly, it might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie for like building to the climax. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so basically same day, imagine that being your Thanksgiving, by the way, like how <laughs> your apartment building burns down. Anyway, beat an old lady with a stick for these cranberries. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, Norman shows up. Uh, I like the transition that they do for Norman getting to the apartment because he's like coming out of like a daze, uh, like kind of letting the goblin like the goblin is receding as Norman comes back out. Um, I I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to like before we lose before I lose that train of thought on that. I love how they do that, that he just like comes out. And you can see during the scene, and I know you'll talk about it, where you can see the goblin like peek out for a few seconds. Yeah. Willem Dafoe does so much acting with his face. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. My interruption's over. I'm sorry. Um, so he shows up to the up to Thanksgiving at um Harry and Peter's apartment. Um and of course you know how you can tell that he's gone nuts as he comes through the door and he's like, I ah, am May, I brought fruitcake. Why would you do that? Why would you bring fruitcake? Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even remember bringing fruitcake. I forgot what he brought. Yeah, he brings fruitcake, which, let's be real, that goes in the trash. Uh, as the SpongeBob uh, Christmas special claims, everybody brings fruitcake and they pretend to like it. That, yeah, no, you're right. Um, But Peter gets into the apartment uh, a few minutes after Norman gets there, and everybody's like, where's Peter at? And then um, he's kind of like hiding in the in the 
uh, in his room, trying to not let anybody know that he's in there. As his arm is still bleeding, we still don't believe it. There's a drop of blood that falls off of Peter's arm, hits the hits the floor, and Norman's like, "Hmm." <laughs> yeah, I, I even if he has superhuman, like, yeah. That's a little strange. It's a drop of blood. I don't even know like how much sound that would even make. I don't know. Imagine you ever have like a leak in your ceiling. Yeah, but I feel like that's different when it's like one drop. I don't know how much. You might not notice it for sure. Especially um, with a window open to New York City. Yeah. I don't know if you would notice the drop of blood. Yeah, but we also get... uh like in that scene when he hears the he hears the blood hit the floor, you get that scene where like his facial expression changes, and you're like, "That's the goblin right there," because he squints his eyes and he starts looking around. He's like, "That's suspicious." His eye like kind of changes too. Like I don't want to say it goes crossed, but even later on when he does it again in the climax, <laughs> and his eye like goes crossed, and is is I love how Willem Dafoe does that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Peter uh, comes to the front door. He's like, I I got cranberries and like a can. Uh, had to beat an old lady with a stick to get these. Uh, as he sits down, and one of the things I do want to mention about the scene is um all the different colors that the characters are wearing. So Peter is wearing green, and Norman is wearing red and blue, and then you have um Harry who is wearing a green shirt with a red tie. And I think it's the costume or the like outfit design for the film is really speaking volumes in this scene. Um, kind of giving you off that variation and that, um, what do you call it? it it's that like subtle subtlety. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, of like all the characters kind of clashing and then Aunt May sees Peter bleeding through his shirt because he didn't have time to. I don't know, like super glue his arm uh, closed or anything. They're just webbed over it. He's done it in the comics anyway. Um, <laughs> so Norman sees the cut, looks in his head, and he's like, "How'd you see you got that cut?" And he's like, uh, "Bike messenger knocked me down." Um, and we get this scene where immediately after that, Norman's like, "I gotta go. Got shit to do." Uh, I, I, I really like that because a lot of movies would fucking he would be like, huh, that's interesting. And it wouldn't be revealed until later on that like he he would like figure out who he is. But I really liked just from that. He's like, you're definitely the guy I hit with my razor blade earlier. Today. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, I got to go. And uh, Harry's like, what do you mean you got to go? You just got here. He's like, shit to do. Uh, don't like your girlfriend all that much later. <laughs> Yeah, he's, like, screaming about MJ, and, like, everybody in the apartment can hear it, and Harry comes in, he's like, oh, I'm lucky if I'll be half the man, my father, blah, 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 and then MJ leaves, and everybody's pissed. It's just a terrible Thanksgiving all around. Yeah, definitely one of the Thanksgivings of all time. Do you think Uncle Ben could have brought it back together if he was still alive? Uh, I don't not know. <laughs> not, when, uh, not when you have uh, Dr. Jekyll over there. I don't know. I feel like he could have convinced Dr. Jekyll. Uncle Ben is very convincing. <laughs> uh, let's just talk about the climax. Fuck it. We're already pretty much here. Yeah. Um, 
uh, got brief oh, moment. Uh, Aunt May almost fucking dies. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Goblin decides to, like, bomb her house and not follow up on it. Yeah. I think uh, it's just that thing of, like, I know who you are, yeah, I we guess. Yeah, we get that scene with um, him with the, the Goblin's mask on, uh, like, the head of a chair. And he's like... Uh, I can't like Norman's like I can't do it I can't I can't fight Peter and then the goblin's like you attack his heart Norman and then we get that scene of um, Aunt May's house exploding you know in the second one she loses her house yep so here's my the, question the holes just glossed over he blew it he blew half of the house off of the fucking side like it's gone that's the reason she lost the house it's it's really expensive for the home insurance is that what it is? It's gotta be. <laughs> it should be. I feel like Goblin Destruction by Pumpkin Bomb should be covered somewhere under. Well, like, it's not like the. B. It's not like the Avengers where you have like Avengers insurance, you know. I guess, but like, if somebody throws a fucking hand grenade in your house, I bet your insurance <laughs> will cover it. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, so Aunt May's in the hospital, and Spider Man's like, "All right, I gotta fuck this guy up." And the Green Goblin does that, like, kind of classic comic book thing where he kidnaps the love interest, Mary Jane, and he is, um, he has this, like, balancing act where there's, what is it, a bus full of kids, right? And then that's a, it's a, uh, yeah, it's like a, bus a full of kids. like a, what do you call it, like a, like a trolley car on, like, a cable, like a cable car. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh that's been done, and I get that this is probably the first one that really did it. But like, man, Man of Steel did it. There's so many movies did the bus full of fucking kids. Yeah, Gotham did the bus full of kids. It's so anyway. There's a bus full of kids or MJ and um, Willem Dafoe is like, now you gotta choose. I think there's a there was a missed opportunity here, and I know it's gonna sound very very controversial when I say this. Okay. I'm going to preface that now because of what the trilogy did become, but I'm just saying that it would have been interesting to see this explored. What if it mirrored Gwen's death? I think that's what they were trying to to mimic. No, they definitely were, but what if they followed through on that? Like, he gets the bus first, and then he goes back for MJ. Yeah. Gets her, think he has her, and she hits the ground. I think that would have been such a fucking punch in the face. And that's probably why they didn't do it. Yeah. More than the Gwen one. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, that's in the comic. I was yeah, talking about the comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, spoiler, I'm talking about the Amazing Spider-Man 2. More fucking impactful <laughs> than the Gwen death in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Just because we get so much with MJ, and it would have been just such a shock. Right. Especially because... Go out that way. Everybody knows what happens to Gwen in the comics. So by having Gwen and a bridge, you're immediately like, oh, we're doing this. Uh, having it switch up and be Mary Jane this time would have been, it would have been different. Yeah. And you I wouldn't just, expect I, it. I feel like the reason he didn't do that is A, he probably had more plans with her down the road. And B, um, it, I don't think people would have liked that. Yeah. In 2002, especially with what the elephant in the room that we'll discuss uh we'll talk about it uh yeah so we're almost to that point i think i don't know i think it would have been cool if he like grabbed her last second and then maybe you have that great power great responsibility thing really coming through because he 
did the responsible thing, which was to grab the bus kids. Yeah. And then maybe in the end, he holds back on Willem Dafoe before the final, you know what I mean? And then that's when the glider, and it's that great power, great responsibility thing. But he ends up getting both because he's Spider-Man, but not without the help of a few New Yorkers in a scene that was put in um, The Elephant in the Room, 9-11. Yeah, I think this scene is essential. It, it had it to is. be there for the time period. I think it still matters. I think it's still culturally important. It 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 definitely is, and I I I like the scene. I like the scene in two, even more. Yeah, uh, because of the depth it kind of holds in two, which we'll talk about it. But in both of the first and the second movie, you have these New Yorkers who kind of get together, and again, Spider Man. This he's all. It's a New York story. Spider Man is a New York hero. This is a year after. I don't even think it would have been a year because this probably came out in summer of 02. Yeah, so this, uh, the movie was in production uh, in 2001. And even in some of the early um, posters and one of the early teaser trailers, it featured um, the Twin Towers having one of them being a a poster with Spider-Man and you see the Twin Towers reflected in the lens of his mask, and then another one being a teaser trailer where he uh, suspends a helicopter between the towers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, So this scene, I think it's super important that they had to, that they put this in here. Um, So it's Spider-Man's holding on to Mary Jane, asking her to climb down to the bus that he's holding on to with the other hand. And, um, Goblin comes through, he's like, I'm gonna hit him. I'm like, I'm gonna hit him, he's gonna drop them both. And, um, some, like, debris starts flying at him. Like, you see, like, a baseball bat and, um, stuff like that, like, start, fall, like, flying at the, uh, off the bridge and hitting Goblin. And it zooms in on all these New Yorkers that are, uh, lined along the bridge, and they say, uh, you're gonna mess with a guy trying to save a, a bunch of kids. Um, you mess with uh, you mess with one of us. You mess with one, uh, all of us. Yeah, this is New York, baby. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. Yeah. Great, great scene. Great delivery. Um, so that enters into after Spider-Man gets them both, the final fight between him and Goblin. And again, this fight is fucking brutal. Yeah, it's I mean, definitely it the most brutal, brutal. It's the most brutal fight I think across the trilogy. Um, personally, I mean, there. I, I think it's pretty matched in three but i think here in a one-on-one situation this is pretty brutal yeah and then you get our third use for a pumpkin bomb so we've seen him throw a pumpkin bomb it's turned people into skeletons we've seen him throw a pumpkin bomb that turns into razors this is the second time we see a pumpkin bomb that is just a hand grenade yeah uh <laughs> so it explodes behind him spider-man gets fucked up in this yeah. scene like this grenade goes off like a a foot away from his face. Yeah, like half his mask is fucking torn off. He's spitting up blood. I mean, it is a brutal. I I heard that there was like a few changes that Sam Raimi actually had to make to the scene yeah. to avoid an R rating. So there's a scene where he gets hit across the face and like saliva flies out. Originally, it was supposed to be blood, but they um they deemed it a bit too gory, a bit too much, so they switched it to saliva instead. Yeah, it it is a brutal fight, and Spider-Man eventually gets the best of him, and I love this fight because it's not like 
it is hand to hand for a lot of it, but then Spider Man uses webs. Yeah. And he like pulls shit down on him. I love when he like hits him, then he uses his webs, yanks him down to his knee, hits him again. That's awesome. Yeah. That's from a comic. That is not like because a lot of superhero movies it just ends up being like two guys punching each other kinda. Yep. I love him using his powers here and like doing all that cool shit. It's awesome. And uh Willem Dafoe like panics, he's losing the fight, he's like, Wait, wait, it's me and he pulls off his mask and he's like doing this monologue and like for parts of it it seems like it's Norman and for parts of it it seems like it's Goblin. You can't really tell. And then we find out that Goblin is still motivating his decisions. Yeah. He has he's like sneaking on his arm for audio viewers, I'm doing it with my arm, and he's like pushing a few buttons and it's activating this glider. It comes up and uh, Spider Man's telling him like, "Oh, I, what does he say that we'll get you help or uh, something like that?" Yeah, he's like, "I'll I'll help you however I can." And then um, Norman says, uh, "I I've been a father to you. Be a son to me now." And uh, Peter looks at him and says, um, "I have a father. His name was Ben Parker." Uh, and that's when the Goblin fully takes over in that moment says godspeed spider-man as the blades pop out of the glider and fly at him uh as he flips as spider-man flips over it goblin goes oh and gets impaled <laughs> by his own glider yeah and i love willem defoe's acting again that scene his eye goes <laughs> cross again godspeed spider-man his voice changes the glider comes out and then it goes back to norman for a moment he goes oh yeah it pierces him and then norman gets the last word he says peter don't tell Harry and drops onto the glider. <clears throat> this line is going to cause a lot of problems for me in the trilogy. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a great line. Great delivery. Don't like some of the execution with that line. So Peter takes his body and just sits him on his couch <laughs> in his apartment. Maybe like just take him out of the goblin suit and like leave him somewhere. I don't know. It's weird. So Harry's, of, of course, he's there. He's like, you pig fucker, would you do this to my dad? And uh, Spider-Man just swings away. Instead of, exp- I don't know. And I get he's trying to make keep the promise to Norman. Norman yeah. was the goblin. He killed people. Anyway, uh, I, I thought, it's just, it's ridiculous. You were close um, to being one of his victims. And even if, you know, he does do that and he does honor his wish. Why isn't Spider-Man wanted by the police? Yeah. If he killed Norman Osborn. Because why would James Franco, and I guess the argument could be made James Franco kept it quiet because he wanted revenge himself. That's stupid. Yeah. That's dumb as shit. <laughs> and it is. Like, James Franco's going to be like, yeah, I'll kill, Sp- I'll kill Spider-Man. Or he'd be like, I'm going to tell it. Like, what did he tell the police happened to his dad? Like, he calls 911, hey, my dad's dead? What happened? I don't know. Spider-Man dropped him off, and he has, like, blade marks in his chest. Or he's just laying on my couch with blade marks. He's impaled. What what is the resolution? And I get it. I'm just nitpicking. But what is the resolution to that? Yeah. What does Harry do in that situation? On top of that, like, just imagine the whole interaction. Like, after Peter's, like, sitting there, he's like, fuck, he just died. I guess I gotta rip this glider off of him now. It's so it's so yeah. It's it's not like I don't want to logic it away or anything because like it it's whatever it's fine. So 
Yeah, it is just a nitpick, but it is something that is an important nitpick because that plot thread will follow us through the other two. Yeah. So then we get the funeral scene, and MJ's finally like, oh, I love you, Peter. And he's like, go away. Uh, <laughs> I can't tell you why, but I have reasons why I can't commit to this. Yeah, it's... Uh... Whatever. That that's another thing in this trilogy. I'm just kind of whatever. Yeah. So so um he's like walking away and he's like, Who am I? I'm Spider Man. You get the final swing in front of American flag and we fade to black. Um very good. Yep, and that's the moment that all the subtlety of the lights above me goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, this this movie's awesome. It's it's aged really well. There there are a few elements of course that, that haven't, but um a lot of a lot of the movies aged aged very well. Yeah. Um and I think that's accredited to uh the writing team behind this movie and Sam Raimi himself. I think a lot is owed to a lot is owed to them. Uh David Cope who wrote the screenplay and I do I, I'm pretty sure I had heard at one point that Stan Lee also helped with the screenplay. I would like imagine he would. I don't see why <laughs> And uh, David Cope is weird because he—I don't know if you have you ever heard of David Cope? No. He has winners and he has losers. So he wrote Spider-Man, okay, the original, and he wrote Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Ooh. Yeah. So that's what are those uh, Indiana Jones movies? I've only heard of the first three. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't hate. I don't hate four. I it's, don't want to get off track again, but I don't yeah, hate four. It's not that bad. Anyway, um, uh, so Spider Man two. Uh, be- real quick before we get into two, I want to talk about what almost happened. Uh, a little uh, around like a decade before this. Yeah, it was. It was conceptual. Yeah, they there there was uh, what was going to be the first attempt. Uh, hot off the trails of Terminator 2, James Cameron was asked to helm a Spider-Man movie. Uh, Terminator 2 came out in 92. This would have been done around 94, so pretty early. And um, they had some ideas, and James Cameron had a, f- a full-blown script at one point, or elements of a script uh, that he had written with uh, Barry Cohen and Ted Newson, who are pretty famous in the writing field. And I just want to talk real quick about the casting for this and the fact that James Cameron was going to go right out the gate with an R-rated Sinister Six Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, so I want to know what that when... script would look like. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so the studio that was going to do this went bankrupt, went bankrupt. And that's why it didn't happen. And then Sony acquired, I can't remember if Sony acquired the studio that owned Spider-Man or if Sony just straight up acquired Spider-Man at this point. But there was another studio that is now defunct that had the rights and they wanted James Cameron. He wanted, he had two choices for Peter Parker and Spider-Man or Spider-Man. He had Leonardo DiCaprio. Edward Furlong was the other choice who was in Terminator 2. He was the kid. I don't know. Have you seen Terminator 2? Yeah. Um, yeah, 
Was he supposed to be uh, John Connor? Uh, uh, Spider-Man? Yeah, is that who you're talking about? Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid that was going to be John Connor, yeah. He wanted Edward, yeah, Edward Furlong. Um, a casting choice that, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think I kind of want to see a universe where this happened. Kevin Spacey as Norman Osborn. I don't hate that. I think that could have been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Cox as MJ. Uh, Bill Paxton as the burglar. He had two picks for Jonah. Both of them wouldn't be J.K. Simmons, but I think that they both could have worked. He had Michael Douglas. And Arlie Ermey, the drill instructor from Full Metal Jacket. I think that actually would have been kind of good. I think so, too. I think that would have been good. He had uh, Catherine Hepburn as Aunt May, Michael Bean as Sandman, Lance Henriksen as Electro, and my favorite casting on this list, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock. Mm. Wonder how that would have been. It's interesting, because Doc Ock has never really been like a, like a physically... Like no, he's a character. fucking nerd. He's he's always been like just an average dude, maybe a little overweight. A nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but uh like I had mentioned, it was going to be rated R. James Cameron apparently, according to sources, ha- had written a sex scene between Peter and MJ on a web above the Brooklyn Bridge that was gonna be like actually like not a cutaway, like actually show very strange. A very yeah. strange um would have been interesting to see. Mm. Um, but it just didn't end up uh it didn't end up going through. Yeah. So let's uh let's real quick or went out for what could have been a fever dream of a Spider Man movie. <laughs> that and let's do our characters that were introduced in the first movie. Alright. Aunt May. We're doing a tier list for our audio listeners, by the yes. way, and it's just a bunch of the uh, characters. Yep. Aunt May, I'd say B. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think Rosemary Harris is a great actress. I just don't think some of the material that she's given is perfect. Betty Brant. Uh, pretty good. Doesn't have that much screen time overall. Yeah, not much of like you don't really know a lot about her. I would say A though, because she kind of fits the Betty Brant role. Yeah, well. I agree. Now for Bonesaw, uh, S tier. Well, yeah, S <laughs> tier because he was the victim of a homophobic attack by Spider Man in this movie, <laughs> and Bonesaw just wanted to get through the match. He had a rough day. He wanted to get home to his husband, and Spider Man insulted him. Yep. Pretty fucked up. Yep. S tier for Bonesaw. Ah, uh, do you want to do Mysterio now or Mysterio later? Let's hold off until three. Okay, Flash. Uh. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one because, like, he's not terrible, but like, again, it's not a it's not really enough screen time to determine how good of a character he really is. Yes, but I raised you. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. <laughs> okay, we can also mention he does have a brief cameo at the end of three, which uh, I he? think is yeah, he is at the end of three. Where? Uh, it's spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen a movie that came out in two thousand seven. That we're going to spoil in like an hour. Anyway. He's at Harry's funeral. Uh, okay. Let's do, let's do high B. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Green Goblin, it would be a sin if we. 
Yeah, that has to go S tier. Like, that has to. Uh, let's wait on let's wait on James Franco till the end. Yeah. Let's see if there's anybody I want to do for this one. Nah. Oh, Uncle Ben. Yeah. I'd uh, say A tier. High A. Yeah, I would high A, high like a. just barely doesn't break threshold for S. I think if we if he had get, been given like another five minutes or so in the movie, they could have won me over for S tier. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. Let's let's talk about two. Um, yeah. Two was a Spider-Man movie that before we revisited it for this episode, everyone had always it's the one everybody really talks about. And it's the one that I had always recognized as being a really good movie, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think time. a big thing about Spider-Man 2 is it isn't just a good superhero movie. I think overall it is just a good movie. That's what I was just about to say. The pace, it, it's very slow. It is very slow for an action movie, um, which is what it's classified as, is an action movie, but it moves very slow. There are a, even though the first one was an origin movie, there are way more scenes in this with Spider-Man out of costume. Yeah. Uh, a big thing with this too is it handles a lot of different um, matters. Like it's not just oh, uh, Peter's struggling with this or that now. Like it's kind of coming into this thing where like he's in college now. Um, his relationship with Harry is much more rocky since he's the guy that takes pictures of Spider-Man. He still yearns after Mary Jane despite the fact that he turned her down um, at the end of the first one. And it all come, it all you know, kind of comes around to balance. It's something that I think, I think early on in your adult life, like we all kind of struggle with balance. I think right now, you and I are both struggling with balance. So we definitely are. Um, we definitely are. Yeah. So I think it's something that, like, it's something that is still relevant. I think it's going to be relevant to anybody that is in that situation. As well as on top of being Spider-Man. Like, that's a huge obligation to him, especially because it's something that he deems is important because of his promise to Uncle Ben. Um, but uh, there was something I wanted to mention out of it. I'm trying to recall what it was. Uh, well, I'll, I'll bring it back up if I remember, but... Okay. <laughs> this This one does deal with a lot of very complex themes. Um... It it's it ascends just being a superhero action movie. I mean, it really does. There's there's a lot of stuff in this that it's very serious. It's very grounded. I would say out of the trilogy, he, uh, Doc Ock is probably the most sympathetic villain. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Alfred Molina portrays the character perfectly, in my opinion. I love I love the look. I love the look of the arms. I think they aged perfectly. There's only a couple of scenes in this movie where the CGI kind of looks like uh, fish paste or rubber. At the rest of the time, it looks awesome. Yeah. On top of that, um, the costume design for uh, Doc Ock, uh, I looked into it. Apparently, it weighed like 120 pounds. Yeah, and like, weren't a couple of the arms CGI, and then one was yeah, like puppeted. Two and... of the arms were puppeted, like were operated by puppeteers, and then two, um, they were physical, but they were usually done with CGI, um, and they would just be there for like static imagery. Yeah, um, it's 
It's awesome. It, we, and we'll get into his character. So the movie opens. Uh, Peter's struggling. Gets fi- uh, fired from his job as a pizza delivery guy because he's doing Spider-Man shit when he should be delivering pizzas. And um, that kind of sets us on to what the tone is going to be for this movie. That and the five-minute long opening credit sequence. Yeah, which, uh, before we forget to mention, is like very heavily stylized. And it uses like... Um like artistic depictions from scenes from the first movie, which is really cool. Yeah, and I like um I like those like really long opening credit sequences, but like part of me misses them and part of me like is kinda glad that they're they've kind of gone the way. I don't mind a credit sequence, but there were a lot of like really long ones in the two thousands. Like all the X Men movies from that. Period I was about really to long. say, like all the yeah. X Men movies. Like even the other day, uh, I did throw on um, X Men: Days of Future Past just to oh, kind of just to watch it a little bit. I didn't watch the whole thing. I only watched like the first like forty minutes or so. But the opening for that movie insanely long, and it's like the last time that that really happened. Like twenty fourteen was like the last time that we got like long intros. I I love Days of Future Past. Um. But yeah, you have that cool opening scene, and then he gets fired from his pizza job. You get that iconic pizza time line where he delivers it, and his life's just falling apart. He owes rent in the place he's living in. Aunt May's about to get evicted from her house. Uh, Yeah, and Uh, uh, MJ's kind of... Go ahead, sorry. uh, We also get uh, like the whole thing with Harry, because he goes to Aunt May's on his birthday, and... This is, like, I think one of the saddest things of the movie is he walks in, they're all, like, surprised, and he's like, what's the occasion? Like, I feel like that's partially a joke, but at the same time, I feel like he also kind of forgot that it was his own birthday, because he's so busy. I feel like he did. Um, And then we get, like, this whole thing with Harry, uh, who he's, like, at first, they seem fine, They're they're chatting like normal, and then, of course, as soon as, like, anything comes up, he's like, he's still taking pictures of Spider-Man? And he's like, well, yeah, that's how that's how I make money. Yeah, he, Harry, again, in this movie, he's very, he's moody, and I get it, and he's pissed because uh, Peter Parker takes pictures of Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's guy killed his dad, and I want to reopen that wound but again this is like a plot thread that follows throughout the trilogy and i just think it's one of the biggest things in his trilogy that just does not work yeah with the way it's set up um we're introduced to alfred molina's character very early and i love the scenes with him before the transformation there's something about the newer iterations of doc ock and they do it in the the ps4 spider-man 2 where they give you so much of him before he turns yeah, that it, it makes it so tragic. That's the one thing I like too with um, like his introduction is, you know, he, he sees Peter for the first time and he's like, ah, Dr. Connor's student, brilliant, but lazy. I love that line so much because it's like in that situation, um, you don't know what everybody's going through. So like him saying that Peter's like, that kind of like it sucks, but at the same time, like he doesn't know he's Spider Man. He doesn't know what he's doing outside of just his classwork. So, um, it kind of gives you some insight into that. And then I like the way that Peter kind of tries to turn away from that, and he's just like, "So this is the thing you're working on." And like 
you get so much passion out of uh alfred marlena's performance here where he's just like yeah this is it and he like they have like this super long like dialogue where we're talking about all the the theoretical parts of it and it's it's a really good scene yeah and it you get introduced to the idea that um this guy could kind of be like a mentor role for him and the reason he builds the arms in this is very interesting because in a lot of iterations, Doc Ock builds the arm because he's got some kind of disease that's going to paralyze him. Yeah. Or like a, an actual purpose. He just builds the arms to help him with his experiments. Yeah, which is interesting as well because we were talking about it when we were watching the movie. When they first unveil it, um, you see like the project and everything that they're setting up and then he unveils the arms. I feel like we're just sitting there with uh, with Harry and Harry's just like, what the fuck? Why? I didn't know my funding was going into this. <laughs> or like, why? Why aren't we? Why aren't we selling that? Right. It's AI controlled arms, and it, I, they do go awry, but they go awry because the dude created a fucking sun in an apartment building. <laughs> um, that's his big experiment. Or I, I feel like again, we're gonna skip around a lot for this, but yeah, his big experiment is he wants to create the power of the sun, kind of like tony stark's arc reactor in a way yeah. it's like, something to um what is it to, it'd be like a, a new energy source that isn't like expensive to produce which um as we also joked about wouldn't exist because the moment that somebody's like i came up with an idea that's cheap <laughs> and everybody would use it that person would be dead <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong uh it, maybe it was the government that fried the experiment <laughs> Until come after us, we're kidding. Um, so the experiment goes wrong. Of course it does. The inhibitor chip is fried. The glass shatters. It kills Doc Ock's wife. Spider-Man is able to stop it, and Doc Ock is knocked out cold and take it to a hospital. Yeah, that's another Which, scene with uh with Sam Raimi pulling out the eye stuff. Yeah, with the uh like his wife like the, as the glass shatters, you see like her reflection through her eyes, seeing the glass, seeing her own reflection in the glass. That's yeah, it's just a wild. really cool scene. It's really well done. Um, he he has another really cool scene immediately after that in the hospital. Yeah, which is probably the best scene or one of the best scenes in the entire movie where Doc Ock is born and there's all these doctors and they're kind of smart ass smart asses and the ones like oh anybody here ever take shop class and he's got the chainsaw and they're gonna take the arms off of him and the arms kind of wake up a little bit before he does yeah I like the way that like he like they start like chuckling at everything and then they pause they look up and they see well like one of the arms is like suspended in this little crane thing it's like moving a little bit and then he's like that's weird anyway <laughs> and then you get the full like evil dead pov camera flying around the room people screaming flying through the air getting killed a guy gets shoved up into a light socket it's electrocuted it's awesome and you meanwhile you have alfred million just kind of laying there on the bed like shifting back and forth the arms are doing all the work they're killing all the doctors in this room and he gets up out of the bed, and they take his blindfold off, and he's screaming. He's, like, devastated by what happened, and he's walking down the street. He's not wearing a shirt. He just got, like, this robe-looking thing on, and this taxi pulls up, and he fucking flips it. It's awesome. Yeah. I don't know how many of you are uh, psychology students or anything like that, but one of my favorite details is um, the taxi that comes after, like, Adam when he gets out of the hospital— 
we kind of see this thing where I think it, it's you have uh, an element of the id, the ego, and the superego in that moment where he sees the tanks coming at him and he just throws his arms up like to like kind of block himself. Uh, but the arms will take over and they flip the car for him. I think that kind of leads into it where like the id was like, protect yourself, but the ego is like, move the fucking car. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And every scene with him in this movie is golden. Uh, meanwhile, while this is kind of happening, Spider-Man's reached this tipping point in his life where he's just like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, he starts losing his powers because he's unsure of if he wants this. Yeah, I think it's a it's partially uh, like a balance and um, it's a balance thing. Like he's kind of like, I, I think Doc Ock before he becomes Doc Ock when he's talking to him, um, he mentions uh, if you keep something like love bottled up inside, it'll make you sick. I think that's like that's part of it. That's part of why he loses his powers. Yeah, and it's the whole. There's so much in the movie that's just taken up by that. While you know other things are going on, Peter's just kind of chilling. He's having a good life. You see this great montage backed up with uh, raindrops are falling on your head. Great song, and he's walking down the street, and you have that iconic scene him eating the hot dog while a car's getting jacked or some shit. Yeah, or was it a fire? I can't remember. Um. You see, like, the first responders, like, driving by really quick, and he's just like, hot dog. <laughs> yep, just shoves the hot dog in his mouth. I love that. Yeah. Um, and we... oh, go, go ahead. No, you. Uh, okay. So we uh, kind of come around to this scene where, like, you know, he's kind of... There are moments where he sees something happening. Like, he leaves uh, He leaves his class after Dr. Connors is like, good, good work today. And you see, like, this guy getting, like, mugged. And he's like, I can't really do anything about that. And then it comes to a, a bit of a head when he is, like, walking down the street one night. There's a fire. Oddly enough, a fire in the first movie and the second movie where he's like, I gotta go help people. Um, but he doesn't have his powers and uh, runs in. Fun fact about this scene, all the fire and the explosions in this scene, uh, practical, super dangerous. <laughs> Um, but he runs in because somebody's like kids trapped on the second floor. He runs in to go save them. Uh, I actually love this scene. Um, just like, cause it's not like at that moment, you're not watching a superhero movie where it's a guy running in to save somebody. It's just a normal dude running into a burning building to save somebody. And it's very different. It's a juxtaposition from the first movie where you just see him fly out of a room with a baby in his arms. Um, but then like he gets the kid out and, uh, you have the scene where like the cops are like, or the firemen are like, um, super brave of you. And then you get, it's, it's back it's background dialogue where one of the guys says, yeah, poor soul got stuck on the eighth floor. He didn't make it out. And he kind of gets this moment of like, if I had my powers, I could have saved them both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that thing where he's trying to decide if his life should be dictated by Spider-Man or Peter Parker or yeah. both. One of the best quotes is that uh, right after that scene, he's like, am I not supposed to have what I want? Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it, it honestly is, it's a lot like, um, 
No, I just had it and I lost it. Fuck. Oh, it's what Uncle Ben was telling him with that responsibility thing. And it's, yeah. you know, there are certain decisions that you have to make in the favor of res- like personal responsibility over what is convenient or what you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Doc Ock's robbing banks. <laughs> he needs money because he wants to make another sun thing out of an element called tritium. Yeah. Which is uh, a real world element. Uh, it is. It, it exists. Uh, I believe it's tritium. I might be mistaking it. Tritium, as far as I know, is used for making uh, night sights for, for like guns. I don't know. It's not its own element, but it's a rare and radioactive isotope there of hydrogen. Yeah. So it's not like one of the made up marble shit like vibranium. Yeah. Um, or steel it's yeah it's not quite wait what <laughs> it's it's not quite used the way that it would be in real life um and it also is not depicted the same way because it's like a little sphere <laughs> yeah it's it's like and, a little ball of metal and you need and, it for sun. Uh, apparently oscorp owns the majority of it in the world which is like a ball about this big uh if for <laughs> audio listeners it's a uh, what'd you say like a like a like a little a bit smaller than a, yeah i was gonna say a little bit smaller than like a soccer ball yeah <clears throat> yeah and it's like the thing with lex luther owning like the universe's supply of fucking kryptonium like it just all floated to earth i guess yeah i guess so <laughs> billions of miles away and what lex luther gets anyway so um uh, he needs money because he's trying to rebuild his son thing. I don't know where he's going to like do a transaction. He's got arms attached to him. But anyway, he needs equipment. He needs whatever to build the son. And he's robbing a bank. And it just so happens that uh, Peter Parker and Aunt May are there. Is this? This he's is before up... he gives up his powers. <laughs> okay, so we're okay. We're doing this backwards. Yeah, it's a little backwards, but it's fine. The bank scene's awesome. When Doc Ock's robbing the bank. Uh, He's, like, throwing money at him, and all the money is, like, these, like, ancient coins, and I looked it up, but apparently there's going to be, like, a scene of dialogue explaining it that they, somebody found a wrecked pirate ship. Yeah, full of gold. Yeah, like, these gold pieces. But anyway, it's funny. Um, Joel McHale is there, that's all. (laughs) That's what I was just about to say. Joel McHale plays a very comedic banker who's just, like, a dick and won't let her have a toaster yeah the the, uh that only applies with the deposit of like 300 or more (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny he's like trying to steal a coin at one point during the fight and aunt may like hits his hand like an old lady like old teacher like disciplining a student like smacking their hand with a ruler yeah um this is yeah ow (laughs) this is where some of the first little wonky CG in the trilogy comes in during the fight, especially when they're going up the building. They look like rubber yeah, for a fuse. And I know it's it's old. I get it. CGI was still coming into its own. It's just hasn't aged well. That's all. Yeah. Um, not to say that the bank scene is still not an iconic. It's awesome. Uh, Alfred Millian's performance, he's kind of snarkier now with it. Um, Butterfingers. I lo- that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> Uh, of course, at one point during the scene, he grabs Aunt May of all people because, of course, he does. And he, he's Spider Man's like, oh, let her go. And he's like, oh, Butterfingers. And he drops her. 
and Aunt May's the reason that Spider-Man wins the fight and doesn't die. Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, it's one of the weirdest things because we were watching it with um, somebody in the server with us when we when we watched it, and uh, so Spider-Man's like, so he's across the street in like a uh, uh, one of the higher levels of the uh, of the building after he got thrown in there. And he's about to like do like the web like slingshot that you see him doing like every iteration of Spider-Man and like launch himself across the street. One of the funniest things was the person that we were watching it in discord with is like, we both had this snap realization where the room that he's about to launch himself out of looks like a sweatshop. We're like, is that a sweatshop? And then it just flies out the window. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it did. It looked exactly like a sweatshop. It was very, it was so weird. Yeah. It looked like that. What was that like clothing factory that burned down? Do you know what I'm talking about? The one that like led to a lot of changes being made for workers. I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. There was like a sweatshop. It's in New York, so it's relevant. Um, There's a sweatshop in New York ran by a lot of women, and they weren't paid well. And it was just like a clothing place. And because they had like, it was, you know, 120 years ago, they had like no safety procedures or no safety things in place. Yeah. So um, people just like burn up in this fucking fire like hundreds of people died i think jesus christ it, it was crazy and it like mirrored that like it looked like a sweatshop and like up in a high-rise in new yeah. york like yeah. what yeah uh but <laughs> aunt may like is the reason he wins the fight she she sees a doc ox playing a dirty little trick and he's got like one of his um one of the arms has like a blade attachment He's playing on stabbing him, and Aunt May's like, "Oh, shame on you!" And she cracks him over the back of the head with her fucking umbrella, and like breaks his glasses and <laughs> shit. Um, how does I can't remember? I can never remember who leaves in these fights. Does he flee? Uh, he catches her, and she, uh, and then Doc Ock's like, "I'm out later, nerd. I got my money." Yeah, and he just Which, like, what I want to know is who is he buying all this like science like experiment stuff with with gold coins <laughs> that's what i was saying earlier like how is he conducting these transactions he has four robotic arms and the dude gonna be like hey, aren't you that guy that fucking robbed that bank now he got these gold coins <laughs> why um, are you doing this transaction with gold coins they're actually they're actually chocolate <laughs> it's it's awesome and can we just talk about this before we get to the train scene doc ock takes way too much damage in this movie for a dude that's like a normal ass dude with like a beer belly. Yeah. He gets like the shit beat the fuck out of him <laughs> at multiple points in this movie. And he's just completely fine. Like I get, he's got the arms. It'd be different if he was like catching the blows or he's not, he doesn't have superhuman strength. Spider-Man is punching him in the fucking jaw, knocking him into shit, throwing him into a car at one point. Yeah. Beating his ass on a train. Like he, he takes a lot of shit and he's just fine. I don't even think he bleeds. Does he bleed? I don't think so. I don't think he drops a single like he has a single drop of blood, and yeah. he like gets, especially during the the climax, he gets the fucking shit knocked out of him. Um, but I digress. The bank scene's awesome, and uh, then we get into that what we were talking about with uh, Spider Man giving up his identity. What's the driving force? What brings him back? I can't. I can't uh, so it's a whole subplot with Mary Jane and how she's getting married. Um. And this is the weirdest thing about this movie, in my opinion, because uh, as we were talking about how, like, we 
we're kind of iffy on Mary Jane and like everything. I, again, yeah. I don't think it's the acting. I think Kirsten Dunst does an okay job. I think it's the writing that really um, kind of doesn't, I don't know. I don't want to say butchers the character, but it definitely is not a great portrayal of it's the not character. not doing her any favors. No, no. Um, but basically, she's engaged to uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son, uh, whose name I can't currently remember. He's an astronaut. Yeah, he's an astronaut. It's like um, Jake or John or some shit. John Jameson, that's right. Um, and she's like, "No, nah, I don't want to invite Peter to the wedding. He's been like, he doesn't, he doesn't come to my play, and he, he's uh, he doesn't show up all the time." Kind of just a slacker, that kind of thing. Um, which brief side note: the she's in a play titled. Uh, most of you may have heard of it, or I don't know if you have or not, but it's called um, "The Importance of Being Earnest," which uh, has a bit of a thematic play with Spider-Man 2's plot, where uh, the protagonist, or the sorry, the not the protagonist, but the the main characters of "The Importance of Being Earnest." kind of uh divulge themselves in fictitious persona to kind of get past the mundane monotonous parts of life which ties in a lot with how spider-man operates anyway and you get mysterio at the play (laughs) (laughs) bruce campbell's back as this usher he won't let spider-man go into the play he's like fuck off the show's in progress spider-man um Go ahead. You were talking about yeah. how he comes back into. Yeah. So uh, Mary Jane is like Peter is all over the place. Basically, when he it, while he isn't Spider-Man anymore, he's like, I've changed. Uh, like, I'm trying to do better. All this. And she is like, I don't want to hear it. I'm out. She gets this idea, this little inkling in her mind and uh, is like, I'm going to see him. So they're at this uh, at this diner. And, uh, she's like, you have changed. How do you feel? And he's like, be, at this point, he's like, I had to become Spider-Man again. Like it's in his mind, but he doesn't have his powers back yet. And, um, she's like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, you're lying to me. You're, you're, you do love me. And then he's like, nah, she's like, kiss me. <laughs> and then as she's going in for the kiss, his spider sense goes off. Uh, and a car flies through the window because, uh, Doc Ock is throwing it at him because he was like, hey, need to find Spider-Man. And uh, Harry was like, you find him, I'll give you Tritium for your little science project. And he's like, I bet. He's like, find Peter, he knows Spider-Man, yada yada. So, car flies to the window, Spider-Sense kicks in, saves Mary Jane. He's like, you uh, tell Spider-Man to bring, come to the clock tower uh at like noon or whatever the fuck i don't know um or else i'll uh i'll like peel this girl's skin off or something i don't know something funny i will peel the flesh from her bones <laughs> he's like i okay if he needed to know where spider-man was from peter why would he throw a fucking car <laughs> that's at him? what i'm i've wondered that <laughs> for so long i don't care anymore the movie's I got a movie. I need to get information out of this guy. Let me throw a fucking car at him real quick. Oh, fuck, he's dead. And also, how about, like, I know Harry wants revenge or whatever, but let me, this guy robbed a bank, he killed a bunch of doctors, 
let me just tell him to go after my best friend. Yeah, yeah. Like, how fucked are you? Like, I know you want revenge, but Jesus Christ. Also, nobody really talks about Doc Ock, like, until the bank robbery. They don't, they, no one talks about a, a an OR of doctors just murdered. <laughs> yeah. So how bad New York was at this point, I guess. But uh, Jonah has the spider suit, and uh, we we watched the version without the seed, but there's a really cool scene that was deleted from the theatrical cut where Jameson puts on the suit, and he's, like, role-playing as Spider-Man. Really funny. But uh, Jameson's kind of sitting there, and he's got some great shit in this movie that we kind of glossed over, like, coming up with the name for Doc Ock, and they're like, Dr. Squid or Dr. Strange. He's like, oh, that's good, but it's taken. <laughs> yeah. Great nod. That's another thing. The uh, pizza place that Peter's working for in the beginning of the movie is on Bleecker Street. So there's two Doctor Strange references in this movie. I it, you could just tell Sam Raimi wanted to do a Doctor Strange movie. Look at that! Even he all did. this time ago, yeah. I mean, he wanted to do one really bad, which is a character that's right up his alley. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jameson's kind of lamenting over everything, and you get this like humanity in him where he's like, "Uh, we kind of need Spider-Man right yeah, now." Yeah, I drove him away. Yeah, I drove him away because he has the suit and uh, Spider-Man snatches it. He's like, he leaves a little note says thanks. He's like, he's a crook. He's a vigilante. He's a public menace. Like he's back to that again. Yeah. One of my favorite um, things is the the guy that sells him the suit. So it's a garbage dude that's like finds a suit in the trash. He's like, I'm going to take this to Bugle. He takes it there. And Jonah's like, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. He's like, I can get more than that on eBay. When's the last time you heard about eBay? <laughs> And then I on top of that, for that on eBay. he gives him a hundred bucks. He still would have gotten more on eBay. I know. It's, <laughs> he's probably homeless. He probably found it in a trash can. <laughs> uh, so he gets the suit back and he's like, I'm going to go whoop this guy's ass. He meets Doc Ock and uh, we have the iconic train fight where him and Doc Ock are fighting on this train. Doc Ock derails it. Spider-Man gets in the front. He uh, is hit in the face with like uh, a spark of some kind, and it like singes half of his mask. Yeah, and he he's uh, forced to remove it, and he's got the train, and Toby's got a hold of it, and he's pulling it back, and he like thankfully he stops the train, and he like passes out, and as he's about to fall, we get our other New York scene that we were talking about for post nine eleven, which. I think this scene is... I, I like the scene in the first one, but I think this one does it better. I think there's a lot more emotion to it. Whereas the first one's just kind of like, yeah, fuck yeah, we all stand together. This one's like very somber and like... Yeah. We stand um, together. Definitely some like biblical, like Jesus symbolism as well. Yeah, With the way like, that they carry him through the train car. Yeah, they're passing him like person to person through the train and... There, I love all like the mumbled dialogue in the scene where he's like, he he's just a kid. He's no older than my son, and they're all just talking about him. And uh, he starts to wake up, and this kid hands him his mask. He says, "Don't worry, we won't tell anyone." And all the New Yorkers are kind of there, and it's that nice moment where they're all kind of in agreement. And I kind of painted this whenever we were watching, and I was talking to Keegan about it. How in real life, FDR was in a wheelchair. And the press refused to take photographs of him in his wheelchair. Yeah. They would only take pictures of him. 
uh, when he was like sitting in a chair or something like that out of respect for him. And I like that none of the, all the New Yorkers on this subway or on this train car, sorry, are in agreement that they're not going to say anything that they're, they all seen his face. They know what he looks like. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the secret between them and Spider-Man. I think on top of that too, um, is in that moment where like, they all see like who's behind the mask and everything. It kind of takes a moment for that for Peter as well, where like being Spider-Man, it's kind of a thankless job, but for the, like this train car of people, like they, they don't just see Spider-Man. They see who it truly is under the mask. And it kind of adds more to it as well. Um, where it's like, you know, uh, you know, getting to see the person that saved you is a lot different than if you never saw their face. No, I, I completely agree. And that's something that it is a thankless job until we get to three. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, Doc Ock gets back onto the train and the New Yorkers all kind of stand in front of Spider-Man with Joey Diaz in the front. High as shit, according to him. When yeah, and he, mushrooms uh, or something. Something like that. I don't know. It's hard to tell with Joey Diaz, but he, like the moment that you told me, I was like, "What the fuck?" And then, like in the moment, you like watch the scene again, and you see his eyes, and he looks like he's like out of breath. And he's like, <laughs> and "You're just like, oh my he's god!" So high. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "You, you want to get to him? You got to go through us, in New Yorkers." And, and uh, Doc Ock just shoves him all out of the fucking way and grabs him, which is nice that they did that. And I also like that it wasn't like the goblin scene in the first one where they had like the ability to fight him. Like he just renders him all useless immediately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a little side tangent. So the okay. arms gain sentience because the AI chip gets destroyed, right? Uh, yeah. Why? Why are the AI arms immediately like, hey? You should like totally break the train's thing so that you have a hostage situation <laughs> so you can get away. I'd like to think that the train or the arms aren't making. They're not thinking out like their plan or whatever. They're just going off of his desire. Yeah, like I said, the the ego and the super ego. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and I I think that kind of shines through especially at the at the end which we'll talk about where how he re regains control and i know yeah. a lot of people call that scene deus ex machina you know just like oh we're just gonna forget how this works but i i feel like he always could have had yeah it's the, the arms. i think that's a big thing about his character is um it's it's ego like the whole reason that like the the f experiment goes wrong in the first place is because he's like it's just a spike it's fine he doesn't want the thing to fail so bad that he kind of has an ego about it. Like he thinks it truly cannot fail. No, exactly. And um, he takes Peter off the train. He kidnaps him. He takes him to Harry. And we have this moment where Harry's like, I want to look into your eyes as you die. He is like Peter bound on this couch. He takes off his mask and he realizes who he is. And he drops his knife. He's freaking out. Spider-Man like just breaks free. Of what, what what is he even wrapped in? It looked like barbed wire. Yeah, it's like barbed wire or something. Also, the word I was looking for instead of ego was hubris. Hubris. There you go. Um, and uh, instead of explaining to, I feel like this would have been a great moment to explain to Harry what really happened. Instead, he says, uh, "There's bigger things going on. 
uh, right now than me and you. Uh, he's got MJ. And uh, he escapes. He goes to fight Doc Ock. He's got, like, his little secret hideout, which is on the water. He's building his son and uh, his mini son. And, of course, he kidnaps Mary Jane. Of course. Uh, Why does he even that... kidnap her? Motivation? Yeah, but he didn't know who Spider-Man was. Yeah, I don't know. Just just because. <sighs> I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, honestly, he could have, like, just put her on the train, and then we wouldn't have to, like, have, like, the whole fight. Mary Jane would still find out that he's Spider-Man. It would have been a whole thing. It would, like, could have gone through with the entire climax of the film without Mary Jane being a damsel in distress a second time. Two out of three. <laughs> Two out of three. So, um, she's captured by Doc Ogg. He's building the machine. They have their final fight. Peter bests him, and... He starts talking to him, and he realizes it's Peter, and he smiles at him, and he says, brilliant but lazy, and it clicks in his head why he wasn't doing his schoolwork. Yeah. He sees Spider-Man, and uh, he he tells him, he's like, Dr. Octavius, you have to help me stop it, and he says it can't be stopped, and they have this heart-to-heart, and um, he says, uh, there's a line I really like, and I'm so pissed at myself that I can't remember exactly how it goes, so I'm going to paraphrase. He he's talking about how men like them have to be better because yeah, of their, uh, the gift that they have. It's a privilege. Yeah, intelligence is a gift um, to be used for the good of mankind. Yes, it's a privilege. Privilege. And uh, he is talking to the arms, and he regains full control for them to do what he wants. And what he wants is to sacrifice himself by taking the sun underwater, the little sun he built, and uh, destroying it, thus saving the city. And we get this great redemption from Doc Ock where he does that, and Peter saves MJ. We get the line, um, I will not die a monster. I will not die a monster. That's awesome. And then I love when he goes over to MJ and she finally, she realizes. I I love that scene. And isn't it a little bit later on when they're on the web when she says, you're amazing, or is it in that scene? Uh, I don't remember. Or no, it's in the first one when before they kiss. Yeah, that's right. Uh, she says something to him that I really liked in this scene. When she says, "Um, uh, deep down, I think I always knew." That's one I remember from that. Yeah, I love that line, and I love when he's holding it up and he, he says hi, and she says hi, and he's like nerdy Peter Parker again, holding up this like heavy piece of metal. He says, "This is really heavy." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, he saves her. Doc Ock goes into the water. Um, they're on a bridge. One of the only Spider-Man movies that doesn't end in a funeral. Um, and Harry is vowing revenge against Spider-Man. He breaks a mirror and sees his dad's green goblin shit. And it doesn't click in his head that the dad is the green goblin despite there being a giant goblin mask. Either he doesn't give a shit that his dad was the goblin. or he he has some kind of brain damage, which he gets in the third one, but he might have had some here. <laughs> I think because that uh, is just stupid. You think he so he saw it and he's like, "Whoa, my dad's got some cool toys. That's cool." The goblin nearly killed him. Yeah, yeah. And the mask is right there. <clears throat> I digress. So that's Spider-Man Two. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it, it's a great movie. Um. 
I want to touch on the MCU scene that picks up after this. There's a, a scene in No Way Home where Toby and Doc Ock reunite. And uh, it's very sweet. It's for because for Peter, Doc Ock would have been dead for like 20 years. Yeah. And Doc Ock, for him, he just saw him yesterday. And they smile at each other. He says, my dear boy, how are you? And he says, trying to do better. I love that line. Yeah. That is fucking Plus you cool. have the you have the score coming through in the background too. Yes. Oh, that's the so original good. theme. Yes. And it's it's such a great moment. There's a couple of those in No Way Home, especially for they both use No Way Home in a way to kind of wrap up their stories very well for both Toby and Andrew Spider Man, yeah. and it's it's very good. Um you have the "If I Were a Rich Man" meme that came from Spider Man <laughs> yeah. Two. Yeah, how could we forget about they that? They did it in front of a green screen, so you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. <laughs> yes, it's ah, uh, so good. Let's do our characters. Yep, for two. Doc Ock. I would say yes. I would too. I'm gonna put him. I don't know. Above or below Goblin. They're neck and neck. It's right there. Yeah, I know. I don't know. That's that's tough. Uh, who else do we want to do for two? Is there anybody else that we, we should do? We could do oh, Ditkovich now or later. We should do Ditkovich after three. Okay. Um, what about the pizza guy? Mr. Aziz. I mean, he's a, he's a loyal businessman. I can give him that much. He also says, uh, I don't know to you, uh, Peter, but you're, he says you're a nice guy, but uh, what is it? Uh, when I, I, a promise means a lot to me, I, I, unlike it means to you, which, goddamn, imagine saying that somebody's promise means nothing. I'm feeling C. He's not yeah. a great character. He's not a bad character. He's just there. I don't know yeah. why he's on this tier list. Yeah, I don't know why he's on this tier list either, so. <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll leave it at there for now. All right. You know what? Let's just call it here. Um, <laughs> this has been a great episode, everybody. Uh, <laughs> the Sam Raimi. D- no, I don't hate three. I, I, I don't. There is a good movie in there. Yeah, it's just a shame that you have to scrape out the stuff that isn't good. You have to scrape out Venom's black liquid shit that's all over the fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's um Audio it's, listeners, the look on Keegan's face when I said that was priceless. It's it's a it's definitely <laughs> a, a plague on this movie. It, it it's it weighs it down so much. Because <clears throat> to get into some of the pre production stuff, originally for um, three, Sam Raimi wanted to do Vulture and uh, Sandman. He wanted to do both of them. He ended up, like, whenever he was going to do a fourth one, too, he had moved Vulture from three to four as well. Yeah. And he had uh, John Malkovich penned to play him. But what Keegan's about to talk about here is the other black sheep of the podcast nearly as bad as September 11th, which is Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so um, during early production of Spider-Man 3, um, the 
studio wasn't really a fan of vulture they thought they couldn't really get a good connection out of um uh between peter and vulture they couldn't really figure it out uh sam raimi still wanted to do it but the studio was like uh we think you should change it um and one of the producers um who i am going to name because uh, there's a lot of people that that know this guy avi arad who personally he's hit or miss if you look at the stuff that he's helped produce he's hit or miss um but he really pushed for sam raimi to do venom instead of vulture for this movie because it was a character that a lot of um that a lot of people liked at least that's what he told sam raimi but sam raimi was like i don't really know the character all that much i don't really want to do him they wore him down eventually he decided okay we'll do venom and uh a mistake was made (laughs) so that's an understatement yeah yeah uh I don't know anybody else's opinion on Venom, but uh, I think we talked about it a little bit here. Uh, as far as Marvel Comics goes, like, not just talking about the movie, not just talking about, like, cartoons or anything, as far as just the character and comics and all other forms of media, neither of us are really a fan of Venom. Um, He's I, as shallow as a puddle after a 10-minute rainstorm. I think in his solo comics... He's fine. I like the I like the um relationship between Eddie and Venom in a lot of the, the like um uh, Lethal Protector comics. They're fine. It's okay. But I do not like Venom as a Spider Man villain innately, personally. No. He doesn't his motivations never make sense in like, a lot of them. In the deepest way that I can think of it is Venom is like a toxic ex just to peter because peter rejected it rejected venom and venom's like i fucking hate that guy now that's pretty much how it was um despite the fact that in the comics uh venom wasn't really like for his origin venom wasn't really an issue at all the only reason that venom got removed in the first place was because uh reed richards was like hey that suit you're wearing is alive let me use this sonic gun and blow it off of you and peter's like okay no problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah and in this one i i understand sam raimi's frustration with having to do venom yeah i mean nobody wants to be forced to use a character that they're not familiar with exactly but what i don't understand i understand including him i do i understand the studio's motivations behind it don't understand the casting director who picked Topher Grace for Eddie Brock, and then Sam Raimi and the writers deciding that instead of giving Venom a different voice other than Eddie Brock, we're just going to have him be Topher We're going to have Topher Grace speaking, and then the, the symbiote will just make bird screeching noises. Very strange, Venom. Yeah. Very uh, odd. <clears throat> so, yeah, Venom was a terrible decision. Um, I will say idle there is a premise of Venom in this movie that I do kind of like, and that's the way that it kind of um accentuates Peter's ego. Um yes. and it, the way it accentuates his ego, uh, and then on top of that, the way that the symbiote is used as an allegory for drug addiction. Yes, I like that. And I liked him having the problems with his ego, but as soon as he flips his hair down and it's emo time, I check out. Emo that time. is such a strange, it's such a strange decision. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just shows him being a dick. I don't need that shit. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's one of the biggest downfalls of the movie or scenes like that. Um, and we have to talk about it sooner or later. So I'm just deciding to talk about it now. The dance scene, um, in the editor's cut comes out a very, very awkward time. Very strange place to put it. Um, I think it's strange no matter like theatrical or editor's cut, because in the theatrical cut, he fights Harry, throws the bomb at him, and then it goes into the dance scene as well. But I don't absolutely hate the dance scene. I think it's cringy, which it should be, because I think what the Venom symbiote does there is uh, it's ex- ex- accentuating what Peter, who is a nerd, would think is cool. Yeah, that's actually a good way to look at it. I never really thought about it like yeah. that. Because, like, he, he goes around and he's, like, he's super cocky, very confident. I, I think it's because, like, as, a, as, like, that nerdy, introverted kid, he never had that, like, confidence to do that. And as soon as he does, he's like, I don't know what cool people do. This is what it would look like, right? Wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, we'll, we'll get more into the Venom stuff. Let's, let's talk about real quick how the movie opens. Yeah. We get another, like, uh, giant fight. This opening sequence is way too long. <laughs> it's like seven minutes. At least it felt like seven <laughs> minutes. And it, I get it's recapping both the first and second movie, but we didn't need to see every little detail in the recap. It yeah. was not necessary. If you're going to go um, in and see the third movie and not watch the first two, <laughs> like. Yeah. And I get like it would have been a while for like people who were seeing them in the theater, and it's yeah. cool to do like a little recap, but man, we didn't need to see like the Ditka bitches in the re. It's not. Yeah. No, we didn't need that. Um, Peter's getting ready. He wants to propose to MJ. He's walking down the street. He's cool. He's Spider Man. He's got work life balance. He's attacked by New Goblin, who is Harry using his father's goblin gear that he saw when the goblin tried to kill him. I am sorry for for the loudness for audio listeners, but Jesus H. Christ on a popsicle stick. What the fuck is that writing? Yeah, if you swerved your car because Michael decided to be loud, um, and you're now in a ditch, please contact nine one one. It's for dramatic effect because it, it's just that some of the writing with his character is just so trash. It doesn't make any sense. It's not yeah. even a, a nitpick at this point. It's just bad writing. Yeah, it, he should have some kind of whatever. And he takes the goblin serum and he doesn't get insanity. So I don't know if he like tweaked it. It's not explained. Yeah, he's uh, just kind of angry. But immediately he's taken out of the movie in this first scene. Uh, he gets amnesia. Yeah, I think there are moments throughout this film where uh, you kind of it snaps on you. You like it clicks, and it's like this was done because they had to squeeze venom in. This was done because they had to squeeze Venom in. And, like, it happens two times to both villains. You see it happen with Sandman, and you see it happen with New Goblin, where they both, like, something happens to them, they're yanked out of the movie for for another, like, 40 minutes or so, because the movie has to do Venom shit. I'd like to know who the genius in the writer's room was that decided to adapt the Dawson's Creek episode into the fucking movie by giving Harry amnesia. <laughs> what a dumb fucking idea. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we, we can't use you right now, so let's just give this character a temporary amnesia that only goes back three months. Anyway, uh, Harry's, like, cool now, um, because he's whatever. Uh, Mary Jane did a one-woman show, and it bombed because she sucks at singing, and she's depressed. <laughs> and she and, then, and she refuses to just tell Peter that she got fired. Yeah, she, yeah, we'll, he, that, we'll get into that with whenever he, uh, gets the symbiote yeah um and then we get into the saving grace of this movie and it's not Topher grace the saving grace of this movie the golden egg is thomas hayden church's sandman what a great fucking bad guy yeah one of my favorite things um throughout the comics and everything is that sandman is never truly a villain I mean, like, maybe in, like, his first couple of, st- like, stories and everything, but a lot of the time, if he's, like, committing a crime, it's because he's just, like, trying to do something. It's the same thing that he's doing in this movie, where he's only committing crime because he wants to afford treatment for his daughter who has, uh, they don't say what it is, but I'm assuming it's cancer. Yeah, um, I'm not sure either. Yeah, um, but then, like, you have other comics where, like, he uh again he's just stealing because he wants to like help somebody in his life uh and this movie like the way that they portray the character is really good there's a reason that like in a lot of uh later iterations for sandman 2 he becomes a hero so absolutely um it, it his character in this is so good it's revealed during this because we need a reason for peter to go after him later on that he killed uncle ben and then it's revealed later on that it was an accident. Yeah, which actually, um, a little quick side note, the retconning of um, Dennis Carradine killing Uncle Ben for Sandman was intentional. They, that was uh, pre-production. Sam Raimi wanted to do that. Yeah, and I, I think it does work really well. And I, I think it's a great decision to make because then you have Peter with this guilt that he got the wrong guy. And then he's got this new target. And especially because he gets the Venom symbiote, it literally crashes on a meteor. A meteor crashes to Earth feet from where he is. And it happens. Oh, my God. So anyway, he gets the Venom symbiote because they needed a way to get it to him. And I I don't think they wanted to go through the whole thing that astronauts brought it back and everything like that. Despite the fact that they had John Jameson in the last movie. He was an astronaut. That traditionally in the comics brings the symbiote back. Yeah, I don't... So he gets it, and then we start getting the the bad boy, and Sandman's trying to get money, he's robbing different places. Um, After he falls into a particle accelerator thing? Something? In the middle of nowhere that's testing at 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, on top of that, a scientist who is so lazy about his job that says hey, there's something wrong with the weight, and his response is, it's probably just a bird, it'll fly away. (laughs) There are a lot of interesting choices in writing in this. It's not even just Venom, but yeah. Yeah. Um, That's the the thing, too, is like, we started out this one, um, and like, when it came to Peter and MJ, and like, all of our like, core characters, we're kind of like, I don't like them in this movie. No, like, they made a lot of the main uh, uh, main characters very unlikable. Yeah, I don't know what happened in the writers' room, like why our characters are now all of a sudden just not like likable. Because like Peter in the first, like Peter in one and two, especially in two, super likable character. 
uh, Peter in three. It's fucking awful. Yeah, he is he, very he, egotistical. He has he has adopted Do, um, Doc Ock's hubris. And I get part of that's the symbiote, but man, well, it's it's so, there at the beginning, and then when he gets the symbiote, it's like doubled, amplified. Yeah. So a bunch of shit's going on with Sandman. He's trying to get whatever after he gets out. He the scene where Sandman is born is super cool. The CGI yeah. looks great. Um, and he kind of just like floats away. He's like, fuck, whatever. I'll just, I'll rob money anyway. I'll be able to save my daughter. Spider-Man's getting the key to the city. We're introduced to our, um, Sam Raimi universe, uh, Gwen Stacy. Who he uh, saves from a a crane disaster. Yeah. That's the way to put that. Yeah, during one of the Sandman attacks. Yeah. No, it's a, it's before that. Cause it's like a, it's just a crane that's like going haywire. For some reason, it's I the thought Sandman had something to do. No, okay. No. So, um, he's yeah, he saves Gwen. He's getting the key to the city, and he, for whatever reason, they decided to make him kiss Gwen right in front of Mary Jane, which he doesn't have the symbiote at this point, right? Nope. Or does he? Nope. Yeah, really, really bad choice. There. Just a just a scumbag move. And Mary Jane, of course, is upset, and he's like, you know what? I think I'll propose now. Yeah, and uh, yeah. mind you, she still hasn't told him that she that she got fired. Yeah, from her uh, one woman show, and he's like comparing everything in his life to or in her life to his struggles as Spider Man, and like undermine undermining everything she's saying. And I get that that's supposed to be like a thing with his character growth, but it, at points it comes across very asinine, even though it's trying to get that point across. Like, no human beings interact that yeah. way. We should also take a moment since we're here to discuss um, Mysterio and the restaurant. That's what I was, I was getting ready for. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Campbell's back again, baby. Uh, and he's going to help him propose to Mary Jane. It goes awry. Um, Spider-Man leaves. And is this our... After that, is, it, is that... That's when we get our first attack by New Goblin, right? Uh, After the play the first time. Like, after after the oh, play okay. at the beginning... He's like, does he get does he get attacked here? He goes leaving? to see Aunt May, and he's like, "I'm gonna propose to her." And Aunt May's like, "Here's my engagement ring." And then, like on the way home, that's when he gets attacked by New Goblin. That's right. Okay, I just remember the ring, like him trying to get it. Yeah. So, so um, he isn't able to propose. He's depressed, and then he's on the hunt. Like he just becomes obsessive whenever he the police tell him Captain Stacy Gwen's father brings in him and Aunt May, and they tell him that Uncle Ben's real killer is this guy, and he's, like, obsessed. He's listening to the police scanner, and I really like this section of the movie. He's got the symbiote, and he is just so obsessive with, yeah. with finding Uncle Ben's killer, and he's just listening to it at all hours, and finally he hears something, and he goes, sure enough, it's the Sandman, and we get the cool scene, and I was joking around with Keegan were watching during the fight. I was like, throw water on him, throw water on him. It works in all the video games. And he does. He gets wet. And um Then he gets removed from the movie for 40 minutes. Yeah, he's gone for a while. They find a way to knock him out too, so we can let Venom breathe, I guess. And he's like goes to Aunt May after this, and he's like, I killed him, Aunt May. I fucking killed him. Or well, he doesn't say I, but he's like, Spider-Man killed him. You know, pretty, pretty much sure I. that Aunt May knows. Yeah, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. 
even Spider-Man with the killed symbiote, him. Yeah, it's uh, and Harry's yeah. starting to kind of get some of his shit back. Yeah, like some of his screws are coming back into place. Meanwhile, uh, Peter at this point in the movie, and again, we're skimming. It's we're we're approaching three hours. Yeah. Um. This is definitely going to be our longest podcast. <laughs> it it is it is by like a half hour already. Yeah. Um. So he uh, he's like Peter's pushing everybody away that loves and cares about him. So he decides that he wants to get rid of the Venom symbiote and he goes to church because earlier on in the movie Eddie Brock has this like fake picture of Spider Man that he photoshopped. He gets fired from the bugle because uh, Peter exposes him for the Photoshop, and uh, he says, uh, "Yeah, he tells him if you want forgiveness, get religion." So Peter goes to the church, and so does Venom or Eddie Brock, and Eddie uh, Brock's praying. I think oh, you should mention what happens in the uh, in the jazz bar before we get there. Oh, I thought we already did that. Nah, you talked about it, didn't you? No, the, the dance thing. No, no, I mean like there's like the street dance. And then there's the dance in the oh, jazz club. Oh, yeah. You're talking about when Peter hits MJ. Yeah. Yeah, n- not cool. Yeah. So as I talked about how the suit uh, is kind of an allegory for, for drug abuse, um, that moment when... So basically they go to the jazz jazz bar. He takes Gwen because he's a piece of shit at this point. Um, and uh, <clears throat> does this whole thing... Gwen thinks it's for her, but he's like doing a whole jazz number dance routine for Mary Jane to be like, this is what you're missing out on, basically. Yeah, uh, it's, terrible. God awful. Um, but then um, she's like, what's wrong with you? Who are you? And then uh, one of the bouncers comes up and is like, uh, hey, what's your problem? And he's like, nothing. What's your problem? Uh, owner comes up. He's like, oh, you, we got a problem? He's like, no, no problem. And he's like, get this guy out of here. He uh, immediately like overpowers the uh, overpowers both of them. Mary Jane runs up behind and she's like, Peter, what are you doing? He turns around with a backhand, knocks you to the ground, and he's like, oh shit. She's like, who the fuck are you? He looks down at the suit and he's like, I don't know. And then we end up at the church where he's kind of like, this this suit has changed me. Like, like he finally realizes that the suit has changed him. He also hit on Betty at one point. Forgot to mention that. And Ditkovich's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both of them. Um, uh, we also forgot to mention the, uh, you'll get your rent when you fix this damn door. It's highly referenced. It, uh, Dr. Connor's fucking telling him that the symbiote, uh, that what he's, what that, shit is is a symbiote and it attaches to humans and be like cool i think i'll keep using it yeah um so we also have um i want to talk about the dickoviches a little bit here because in the in the in the second one mr dickovich is kind of like money grub like peter literally gets 20 dollars for his birthday from aunt may that's all he has and then mr dickovich is sitting there he's like rent and he's like huh nah He's like, hi, hi, what's hi? Can I spend it? <laughs> um, uh, but Peter's like, all I got is this 20 for the rest of the week. And he snatches it, closes the door, and he's like, all right. <clears throat> um, so Mr. Dickovich in, in the third one here, um, we get this scene where Peter's been struggling with his door the entire movie. 
Um, and he finally gets fed up. Mr. Dickovich is like, where's my rent? Peter turns around and says, you get your rent when you fix this damn door. Gets in the apartment, closes it. And one of my favorite things about that part is Mr. Dickovich's reaction of, he is a good boy. He must be in trouble. Like, that's his immediate reaction. I love that just because, like, no landlord in New York is going to be like, oh, fuck, he snapped back at me. Must be in trouble. He's a good kid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is it is a really good scene for, yeah. from a character that you don't really expect that kind of thing from. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the uh, again, the allegory for drug abuse. We get that moment where Peter hits MJ and is like, I need to get rid of this thing. Um, and that's the thing with, with, uh, I think with drug abuse as well is like, no matter how many people will support you, um, and getting help, the person that has to make that final decision, that final push is you. (coughs) So Peter goes to the, uh, to the church and I don't think he even realizes that the, like, like sonic sounds or like hyper frequencies do harm to the symbiote. Just kind of something he finds out uh, on accident by hitting his head off of the bell. Yeah, it's it's lit- it's by complete accident. Yeah, um, it. I guess it makes sense. And then of course Eddie Brock is down in the church, praying to God to kill Peter Parker. Which I told Keegan when we were watching it. I don't know if God works in way. Yeah, I don't think God does that kind of thing. He's more of the uh you should forgive that person type of god. Yeah. Um so the Venom symbiote starts leaking off of Peter, it gets onto Eddie, and then Topher Grace becomes Venom. Sandman comes back into the movie, um decides to help Venom just because we almost yeah, it, before we get there, we should also mention the uh the sandcastle scene in the editor's cut. I thought this was that I thought that was after this. No, that's before. Uh, okay. Um, there's a scene in the editor's cut that I had never seen before, and Keegan had never seen before, watching this movie. Um, where there is a sandcastle, and it's made out of Sandman, and his daughter's kind of playing, and he's like, "Oh, she's like, oh, it's such a cool castle." And then they leave, and he's just kind of sitting there. It, it, it's a very, very good scene. Yeah. Um, and he. The only thing that from that scene that I think I'd cut out is the part where he says, I won't let him stop me again, talking about Spider-Man. It's the only thing I cut out of that scene because at the end of the day, it's not Spider-Man that's his issue. It's like just he needs money and Spider-Man just happens to be in the way. So like I get like that like aggression, but if he could just pull off a heist and Spider-Man doesn't show up, he'd be he'd be set free. He'd be fine. Yeah, it um. Uh, it's it 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 adds a lot of emotional weight to the story too. Having that scene, and I know I for some reason I saw a lot of people online had a problem with that scene, and I I I really like it. I think it adds a little bit more depth to Sandman, and we get a little bit more to his character. So then we need to move into the final act, and I we we when we were watching this, it just starts. Yeah, like he gets rid of the symbiote, and then. You're like, oh, like, maybe we'll have a few minutes of downtime between, like, you know, like, him kind of going, like, oh, man, I've really fucked up. Um, No. No, we don't. It's act three time, baby. (laughs) It's time for the climax. Yeah. It's, yep, it just starts, and um, big final battle. 
course, they kidnap MJ, put her in a car on this giant thing that Venom built, builds out of like his symbiote webs, and it's they're challenging Spider-Man. And at the same exact time, Harry regains his memory and dons the new Goblin suit. And uh, it, well, it's a little bit after this, but um, Peter goes up to him. And he's like, "Hey, man, listen." Earlier, they he does get it a little bit earlier. I forgot because they yeah. have that like nothing fight where he just blows up half of Harry's fucking face. Yeah, Harry um, just decides to help him. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, that's an issue with the editor's cut. Um, because in the theatrical cut, we have um Bernard, uh Harry's uh butler, who comes in. He's like, the night that your father died, I cleaned his wounds. Um, he was stabbed by his own glider. That's not in the editorial cut or the editor's cut. Um, and well, there is another theory that I want to attach there as well um, that a lot of people have kind of clung to in recent years. So Bernard is in the second movie and in the third movie. And people theorize that the scene where he tells Harry that um, Norman like was killed by his own glider um there's a theory that bernard in that scene isn't actually real and it's like a side effect of the goblin serum plus a bit of his subconscious telling him like what he's sort of known all along which i kind of like that theory but again i I do too it's just the motivations are so quick and so like flippant and then in the editor's cut it's just like it's not there yeah well yeah but it's like would it be better with or without that scene? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Because Cause the only thing that we have in the third one, or for, like, in the editor's cut, is he picks up a picture of uh, of himself, Peter, and MJ together, and it's, like, shattered. And, like, he looks at it, and that, the scene ends. Then we go into the climax with Peter fighting Venom and Salmon at the same time, and then he just shows up. See, I feel like with the scene with the butler, imagine or not, it makes him look like a fucking dumbass. Yeah, yeah. He was literally using the bombs, and he saw the mask. He's using a different version of the glider and the serum. It's just, whatever, he's in the final battle now. Yeah. Venom and Sandman <clears throat> teamed up, and then New Goblin comes to help them. There's a bunch of CGI final battle shit. Jay Jonah is uh, buys a camera off a kid for like 100 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Um, plus film moment. which is extra plus film is extra <laughs> uh, so I can't remember who's defeated first because um, I can't remember if Sandman's taken out and then they go for Venom yeah so Sandman is taken out by uh, New Goblin who's using like his gliders like missiles and shit to like turn parts of him into glass and blow him up and all that and uh, he's like oh I've taken too much damage I've fallen over like a boss fight in a video game or some shit I don't know um and it's like damn okay salmon's done in uh, we won't see him until like 10 minutes after venom dies <laughs> yeah um uh, it's so strange that we do get like a bit of a horror element um with between venom and um spider-man in this part too um which little side tangent i want to go on really quick um in the final scene here Peter's mask gets fucked up. I don't know who was like working on the costume design uh, at this point or what was going on, but his mask gets like torn on the left side. And for some reason, the lens isn't around his eye. It's up on his forehead on the the one that isn't damaged. And it pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even notice that. (laughs) 
Um, so they start battling. Peter realizes that sound waves affect Venom. Um, and right before that, uh, Harry takes, or is it right before, or right after when Harry takes? The it's glider. right before. Okay, Harry takes a glider to the chest. Uh, what w- would be a fatal wound, just like his dad. He's introduced as a good guy, and then is immediately whatever. <laughs> so, um, Peter's battling Venom. He puts him in this like cage, these metal bars, and he's banging the bars together. And uh, the suit starts opening up, and he web, uh, he shoots a web and pulls Eddie Brock out. And he gets one of the pumpkin bombs. He's getting ready to destroy Venom. Really cool use of CGI with the Venom in, and it's very Sam Raimi when Venom starts coming over the cage, and he's like this big glob of like black goo, and he's like making these awful like gut wrenching noises. Yeah. Before uh, Peter hits the metal again and throws the pumpkin bomb, Eddie decides it's going to be a great idea to dive in towards the symbiote. Uh, right as the pumpkin bomb is detonating, and we get some yeah, more skeleton I... bones for half a frame. I hate Topher Grace. <laughs> we didn't even talk about his lines. Oh my god, when he picks MJ up whenever they ha- in the final battle, and he's like, "My spider sense is tingling." If you know what I mean, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm like, dude, what do you what do you mean? What do I, I think you mean?" I, I I remember you laughing your ass off because whenever he did that, I I I said, uh, "No, can you explain it?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's bad. I I don't even want to talk anymore about his character because he doesn't have one. Yeah. Fuck his character. Yeah, I, it's, it's bad. Um, especially because he's like talking to Betty. And he's like, "I got this girl I intend to marry," and then later on you realize that uh, he he's talking about Gwen, and the only date that they've been on was they went to get coffee. <laughs> That was it. Weirdo. Yeah. He's a fucking little. Uh, so yeah. Um, uh, we get another saving grace. The final scene between Sandman and Spider. Yeah, that's what I was about to talk about. Um, so, um, Peter's like standing there after everything. Sandman's like, "Hey, so I uh, I killed your uncle. Sorry." He's like, "I uh, I get it. And I forgive you." Uh, and it's a it's a really good scene. I'm oversimplifying uh, here, but um, can we also talk about it briefly that out of all three of these Spider-Man movies, only one villain survives? Yeah. Uh, we have the guy that he thought killed his uncle dies. Norman Osborn dies. Doc Ock dies. Venom and Topher Grace die. Canonically, Topher Grace died. <laughs> Oh, in real life, yes. Yeah, yeah. not not uh, Eddie Brock. That was Topher Grace. <clears throat> anyway, um, so yeah, the only character that survives out of all these movies is the guy that actually killed Uncle Ben. His his last scene with with Peter is really good. It and, is uh, when he's talking about his daughter and Peter lets him go. I I, I like that quite a bit. And then uh, he also has a line he, early on when he's introduced and he like goes to see his um. Goes to like get changed out of his prison uniform and everything, where um, as he's leaving, he says, "I'm not a bad person. I just have bad luck." Yeah, it, again, Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman is so good in this movie. Yeah, I, I wish he was more of the central focus. It would have been so much more interesting. I agree. With the dynamic with his daughter, if they explored that more, but you know, studio interference—it's a bitch. Yeah, and so is bad writing. Uh, the movie, um, 
Mary Jane and Peter uh, hold Harry, uh, and then yet another Spider-Man movie ends with a funeral. Out of, uh, what is it, five out of eight or whatever the fuck we calculated? Five out of eight and then some sort of funeral. And then e- even one of the two movies, or one of the three movies that he's in that aren't Spider-Man movies in the MCU ends in a funeral. Yep. Uh, so he, um, Toby's like, he has his final monologue like he does in all the other movies. He has his final swing. He actually doesn't uh, have a final swing. This is the only movie where he didn't do a final swing. He has the dance with MJ. Oh, that's yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, that's that's Spider-Man three. Um, continuing, like we kind of talked a little bit about the MCU. There's a great scene where um, who cures Sandman? Was it Toby? Yeah. No way home. Yeah. Toby cures him, and you you hear that theme as he looks at his flesh again. And again, Sandman's used so weird in No Way Home. Yeah, I, him and Lizard, in my opinion, are weird, are used very strangely because the way that they set up the story for those guys is that they, like, perished just, like, moments before they, like, got brought back. Um, but Sandman and Lizard didn't die. We'll have to burn that bridge when we get to that. Yeah, bridge. we'll get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's Spider-Man three again. I don't think it's the worst movie ever made, but it it definitely has a lot of problems, and it has a lot of things that it does very well. Yeah. So, again, like it's not a bad movie. It just has bad parts. Hey, that, that's yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna go ahead and rate the rest of our characters here. We gotta put Mysterio in S tier. Yeah, I mean it's Even Bruce if it's Campbell. At the bottom. Emo um, Spider Man. I want to go. S- I do see. Like I said, it's like he has like the nerdier aspects of like what somebody would think is cool. So I think that gives him a little bit of merit. So yeah, I'll put him. I'll put him above that guy. Yeah. Uh, Doctor uh, Connors. How I, the hell did Eddie Brock get an F tier already? That's, that's so crazy. weird. Crazy. <laughs> Dr. Connors, I think, is a good, like, high B, because he's present in all three, and I really think Sam Raimi was gearing up to do something with him. Yeah, I don't think he's actually in the first one, but he is mentioned. Yeah, he's mentioned in the first one, and then he's in, he has scenes yeah. in two and three. Uh, can we I also think... get a character, can we get the one of the one of the dudes that walks into Peter when he's trying to tie his shoe in Spider-Man 2? That is just Sam Raimi hitting him in the face with a backpack? That's S-tier. Yeah. That character is as teary. Yeah, that uh, for those of you who don't know, is another practical uh, effect by Sam Raimi. Hit him in the face with the fucking duffel bag, knocked him over. Yep. Um, Gwen Stacy, I want to say C for shallow. Yeah, they they just didn't <laughs> utilize her very well. Um, she's a good actress. I I think that they just didn't write her into the story all that much. No, I I completely agree with that. Put her C. New Goblin, I want to say low A. If we're going, if we're going New Goblin, are we doing Harry overall? Harry full trilogy, I would say low A. Yeah, I'd say either high B or low A, just because like he has great chemistry in the first one, but he's just kind of brain dead in the second and third again in terms of his own father's mortality. 
I like some. I like his motivation in two because he doesn't know about the. As soon as he found out about the goblin gear, the uh, he. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. Hoffman. Uh, S tier. S tier. That's Jonah. an easy one. Uh, S tier. <laughs> Probably higher S tier. <laughs> MJ. I want to put her like right next to Harry. Like they both have their good and bad moments. Yeah, yeah. Like not the worst thing ever. I don't know. <laughs> so, Mr. Ditkovich, I go high B or low A personally, just because the scene where he's like, like he must be in trouble, like that thing, like that gives him a lot of depth. It's the same with. Right. It's the same with um. With JJ, when Goblin comes in through the wall, and he, like, defends him, you know? Yeah, they, they both have that integrity. Toby's gotta be S. Are we going on his Spider-Man, his Peter Parker, or overall? Overall, I would say S. I would say S as well, just because for many, many people in, like, our age range, that is their Spider-Man. That is who defines the character to this day for them um it's hard to it's hard to even talk about like spider-man without bringing up this trilogy no i i 100 agree with you robbie i would go a as well just like you had like that moment when he's like i heard spider-man was there and he has like this little side eye with peter and peter's just like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like another person Stand that definitely knows yeah, there's there's a lot of that in this trilogy, especially there's a few moments while we were talking uh, while we were watching them that we were like, does May know here? Yeah, <clears throat> I'd Sandman's S. I, I can agree with that. I would say lower S, of course. Than, yeah, like, the, yeah. Villain, the other villains, but he, I would say, he's still S. He's a great villain. Uh, what's Ditkovich's daughter's name? I don't remember Pris Priscilla or something. I don't know. Ditko wait, Ditko wait, <laughs> daughter name Ursula. Ursula. Damn. B for not being that there. relevant. Yeah, she was there. She made some cookies with nuts there. to signify that Toby had gone nuts. <laughs> <laughs> for. For our audio listeners, our S tier goes from top to bottom, and then we'll just go through each tier. We got J. Jonah, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Spider-Man, Bonesaw, Mysterio, Hoffman, Sandman, Uncle... And then we're in A tier, Uncle Ben, Betty Brant, Mary Jane, Harry, Mr. Ditkovich, uh, Robbie, B tier, Dr. Kirk Connors, Ursula, Flash, Aunt May, C tier, Emo Pete, Gwen Stacy, Mr. Aziz. Mr. Aziz, none in D tier, and in F tier, we have Topher Grace's god-awful Venom. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. Good lord. <laughs> well, um, this was our longest episode by far, but I mean, we did have a three-week hiatus before we did this one. Yeah, I think fair. this this makes up for uh, a lack of uploads from us, so... We almost uh, spent an hour on each of the fucking movies. <laughs> yeah, I think Spider-Man 3 we rushed through a little bit. 
So we still spent a good like half hour, 35 minutes on it. Yeah, we did. Uh, and that's mostly just because we wanted to get it over with because Spider-Man three <laughs> is just an okay movie. It's at least yeah. still a film. I can still give it that. Yeah. It does have those elements that, that we were talking about earlier. It's just not like a soulless, uh, <clears throat> the venom shit in it is soulless. It is. There's no like actual venom. There's nothing. There's yeah. nothing to Eddie Brock. There's no motivate. It's, uh, but I, uh, yeah, that, that as I've aged, right. like I've come to the conclusion that I just don't like Venom that much. Um, I don't either. So, like, I don't know. As a kid, I was like, "Oh, Venom's cool." It's because I didn't really understand Venom at the time. I don't. I didn't like have that uh, amount of uh, knowledge that I do now. Like, I, I've grown up and realized that Venom is just kind of a mid character. <laughs> I'm the same way. I grew up thinking Venom was awesome and one of the coolest Spider-Man characters, and now I'm like, I liked when uh, Candyman played him in that new Spider-Man game. But like, other than that, he's and even then, in there, he's still not great. Like, no, the I liked the relationship between Harry and Peter in that game a lot. Um, Venom was just there again. Yeah. And even the Venom standalones are uh, won't get it. We won't get into those right now because that that may or may not be a uh, future episode at some point. Yeah. But we've been rambling is, for about three hours. So. That's what I was. I was getting into the. I was getting into it. Um. Yeah, this was our longest episode by far. We are covering Marvel's best horror trilogy. Thank you, Sam Raimi. Uh, even for a few of the missteps that these movies do make there are so many great leaps in comic book movies yeah uh came from all three of these and uh as far as phase four marvel goes you have one of the better movies just take out that illuminati shit and we're good <laughs> oh from sam Ra- yeah dr yeah. strange exactly like the the horror elements in uh multiverse of madness are are great i don't want to go too far into it but just the for the horror elements that he utilizes in there phenomenal no, I, I completely agree with you. And maybe that'll also be a topic someday. Someday. We'll see. But, but for today, we've been talking for three hours. And uh, I think it's about time that we call this one. I agree. Uh, so uh, we're not going to promise anything for next week just yet. We're still figuring that out. We'll see which one we're going to do first. We'll see what happens. And then... um. Should we tell them the name for the other possible idea? Because it's the two Scorsese ones I named earlier. Uh, what was the other one? Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Ah, uh, yeah. Idea. We may as well, like... Because we want to do the... That, whatever we're calling it. Real to real or whatever the other uh, one we're thinking of. Uh, we want to do that for Scorsese. And then for like our next full-fledged episode, we wanted to do... Um, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. So, one of those will happen within the next week or so. Um, hopefully, if we have, if we find the right time for everything and it all lines up. But that has been Mixed Media with Mr. Rager and Mr. Toast, episode 21. Thank you guys so much for watching. Audio listeners, you guys are great. Visual listeners, after we're live... Thank you so much. And to our Twitch chat that was here for our stream today, thank you guys so much. And everyone have a fantastic day or evening. Join the Discord. Good night, everyone.